This episode is brought to you by Farm Bureau Financial Services, Zach Miller Agency. If you're looking for an insurance agent with a personal touch, someone willing to have the real conversations about what's important to you, assistance with submitting claims and offering quality coverage options, Farm Bureau Financial Services, Zach Miller Agency may be the place for you. Whether you need home, auto, farm, commercial, life, or health insurance, we're here for you. Check us out at agentzachmiller.com. Farm Bureau Property and Casualty Insurance Company, Western Agriculture Insurance Company. My next guest is a Norfolk native. He is the Senior Research Assistant at Atmospheric and Environmental Research. Chase, thanks for making time to be here today. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Zach. No problem. I'm Zach Miller with my co-host, Anita Larson. Hi. Nice to meet you, Chase. Thanks for having me. And we are touching base with Chase Calkins today. So, Chase, thanks for coming on, man. I've been talking about it for a few weeks, and now we're here. Yeah. Um, So you grew up in Norfolk. I did. Originally. Um, Went to Norfolk Senior High. Correct. How was that experience for you? That was pretty good. You know, I graduated, you know, towards one of the top in my class. Uh. You know, I did sports, did football. Yep, played I, together. I did. Uh, I don't know if the Norfolk High recognizes, you know, speech and beta as a as an activity or if it's considered a sport now. Otherwise, I did track. Uh, didn't make it, you know, to state for that. But otherwise, you know, Steve Porter had this you know, special list of like throwers that you know meet, reached milestones of like throwing fifty feet for a shot or over 140 feet or 160 feet for discus. And so I'm on, you know, those lists. That's awesome. I think speech and debate was considered a, at least an activity. It might've been a sport. I think it was an activity in yeah, our hometown. I can't remember. But, but yeah. you, you were pretty good at that though. Yeah, I was. Cause, uh, when I was a sophomore, I did, I think it's called novice debate. And so what that is like each year you basically get, you know, one policy, and I think when I did it was, um, I had to do something with the environment. And I can't remember exactly what the statement was. I remember, you know, we were one of the top uh, novice teams in the state. Uh, we ended up going to the state and at halftime we were rated number two. And of course we go against the number three team and we ended up losing that third round. Then you go into the fourth round mm-hmm. and we also lost that round otherwise you know after that then i did it was basically called congress and so you basically go in you basically i remember that yeah you basically create a whole bunch of different uh let's say bills and you basically kind of it's kind of like you know the government you basically explain how you get people to vote on it you basically go you was like here's my bill and here's why you should vote for it uh majority of the time i would basically be kind of like what is called a presiding officer it's basically like the judge, if you get nominated as previous presiding officer, you get this cool little gavel. <laughs> <laughs> so I have like one of those for, I think, a couple of the uh, debate teams. That's um, awesome. How, so can you explain how they, uh, I never really understood how they scored the debate, like the debate team stuff. It's not through, you know, like one-on-one. So like mm-hmm. the students, there's like different referees that are in there sitting around and scoring, you know, you know, how's this person talking? How, you know, 
comprehensive or intelligent as the bill. How and usually the presiding officer is usually always like one of the top people because he has to you know keep everyone in line. So usually he's always up for consideration. But uh, as far as then even like the novice debate, there's there's the one judge that's you know sitting there and scoring, and you have like your usually have like you have the the main affirmative and the deference. And then your other partner goes for the affirmative and then deference. And then you basically do some sort of like rebuttal that says, you know, these persons, you know, aren't really caring about this. And I'd say for the defense, it's like, you know, we don't really care about that. You know, that's, you know, we've shown studies that, you know, this doesn't really matter. And then it comes up to the judge basically says, you know, which team really kind of convinced me more to say, go with the affirmative or, you know, the negative. To flood their case better. Yeah. Right. That's basically it. So where I, I forget what, at what position you did graduate in, because you you were pretty high, right? You were, I forget. I, I got on the I got on the GPA scale. Ooh. Yeah, like the, because you were pretty high up there, if I remember right. Or was there like a, I don't even remember who our valedictorian was. <laughs> See, you don't either. Nope. That's okay. You you were high up there. I remember you you were smart. You were a smart guy. Um. So where did you end up going to college then after that? Uh. So I got a football and track scholarship up to Dakota State, and it does, it's not South Dakota State, the Jackrabbits. Uh, Dakota State is NAIA football. Okay. And so I went there on you know those scholarships, and I didn't really like. I was I specifically went there just to basically kind of do track because I really loved doing the shot put and discus. So you went four sports. I you went four sports. Okay. So yeah, they gave me I don't know how many hundred dollars just to, right, right, right. to do the sports. Uh, I actually had you know kind of a scholarship down to Carney, and he, and the coach really wanted me to go down there, but you know my father really kind of pushed me not to go down to Carney because you know you can't spill drugs. <laughs> you. Okay. It was a, it was that huge like conversations like I I really don't want you to do that. I, I really think you can be like a two sport athlete up at Dakota State. <laughs> if everybody wants to know, I went to Carney, so. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, so, so yeah. You, you went for the sports, not for any kind of, you, you weren't going there for a specific degree at that time? Uh, at that time, I was actually enrolled in actuarial sciences. And so basically actuarial sciences is basically just doing a whole lot of math for fun. You loved math, huh? I did. Yeah. You're crazy. Yeah. Psychopath. Because so, yeah, I think... Actually, hey, I, hey. I almost, <laughs> I almost became a math teacher too. I oh. like math. I'm not good at it, anyway. but I liked it. Yeah, because I think actuarial sciences is basically... It has to do with like insurance. So like, let's say basically you have to kind of like like an actuary. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah, that's the way it is. The actuary. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if I would have, you know, finished through going through that, uh, did a couple of tests, you know, that's easily you know that's six figure job. Right. But uh, you know, I kind of went in there as like you know I I just get really tired of doing all the math, and you know the sports weren't really working out because I I did football, and you know being on the team because like I started as a freshman because like my very first game. I started against like a division two team and we had done like two games already. And like the third game was like division two. And there's a huge, huge difference between like talent level between like an NIA football team and going against like a, right. you know, person from division two, but otherwise, you know, you know, I held my ground. <laughs> and I always, I love telling the story cause like, you know, we go down, I think it was Southeast Missouri state and we stayed at a hotel and we ended up losing the game, you know, for like the first half we were doing, fairly good and we was the game the coach says you know how proud he is and then you know one of the assistants comes and he says you know hold it right there coach 
I want to introduce you to this bill that we got from the hotel. I was like, what do you mean a bill from a hotel? <laughs> well, it seems like some of our players here kind of took some things from the hotel. Oh, geez. Yeah, people were stealing like, like pillow sheets. Oh, my gosh. Covers. It was just like insane. <laughs> And so, like, the coach came unglued at that point. I'm sure. Yeah, so it was a long, long ride back. And I remember getting off the bus. He's like, bring your running shoes on Monday, boys. I guess. Oh, boy. Yeah, so then he, he, he had, you know, the weekend to settle down. It's like, you know, only people that, you know, did it kind of got punished. And so, like, they had to do, like, laundry for the entire. Oh, man. For the rest of the football year. So how long did you stay there then? I was there for. Three semesters, I believe. Oh, so not too too long. Right. So, yeah, I did the, the fall semester, which was the football, the spring year. I did uh, shot put, discus, hammer, and weight. And at the time when I was a freshman, I I held uh, the hammer record, the weight record. And I was one of the, I think I had like the freshman records for the shot put and discuses. But... You know, they didn't really have a coach up there. It was basically some just like old guy that came in. For off track? Of his, yeah, for track. <laughs> well, because like nobody went up there for like right. throws. It was more kind of like a cost country right. like track team. It wasn't more of a field team. So like my coach was just some random guy that, you know, right. volunteered his time to come up there and, and look at me. Right. And so I was like, yeah, I'm not really, you know, getting anything out of this. And I had the point, you know, I, I basically kind of says, I, I don't want to do, you know, all this math anymore. So like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll go into teaching. And I think I did like teaching classes for like two weeks. I was like, I can't teach people. Like, <laughs> Not for you either. Yeah, yeah. You can try to just do it with my daughter's like, hey, you know, look how easy it is. And like, she's like, uh, what, what are you doing? I was like, it's super simple. Come on. We, we can figure this out. Right. And so then I decided to go down to the University of Nebraska and get my bachelor's down there. And, you know, I met my advisor. You know, I said, you know, I didn't want to do, you know, all the math up there anymore. You know, I wanted to come down here and, and do meteorology. I was like, well, you know what, that's that's really stupid because now you got to do all the math that you would have done out there. Now, plus all the meteorology was like, super. <laughs> that was a real good decision, Chase. Oh, nice. You said University of Nebraska. Was that Lincoln? Lincoln, yeah. Lincoln, okay. So what made you decide to go into meteorology then? I mean thing that I always look back on is, you know, the movie Twister, you know, with Bill mm-hmm. Paxton, you know, there's, I think there's supposed to be a movie coming out. You that know, movie even. used to scare the shit out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, anytime that comes on, I, I love like, just sitting down here with my daughter and, and trying to do that, you know, and, you know, you basically go to school. It's like, yeah, I, re- I really want to be, you know, one of these guys in the movie film, like go out and chase tornadoes, go look for hail. But, you know, you kind of don't have the money to do all the gas and replacing the windshield mm-hmm. every you know, a couple of days because hail went through it. Actually, at the very end of my career for my bachelor's, I did an internship at the National Weather Service down in Valley, Nebraska. Okay. Uh, they specifically brought me on for uh, a tornado event that went through, I forget the town, but it, it, the tornado event went through the office and it just hailed a bunch of the people there. You know, they had their back of the windshields blown out the plastic grill for like my Equinox at the time that was destroyed. The entire, <laughs> they totaled my Equinox. Wow. You know, my wife was kind of disappointed in me. It's like, you know, I, I it's like, you know, I should have, you know, taken my Jeep, you know, my old <laughs> high school Jeep, right? you know, the, the vehicle that I shouldn't have like really cared about, but she's like, you know, I don't really know if it's going to make it to Valley and back, but we'll, we'll take the good car. And so then I show her the pictures. I drive back, you know, 
airs coming through like little tiny holes in the windshields. Like, oh, oh gosh. <laughs> goodness gracious. Yeah, I thought, you know, they'd be able to like replace some of the panels because, you know, they were trying to do like paint, paintless dent repair at that time. And the guy comes out and looks like, he's like, yeah, we're, we're not going to do this. Like everything inside, you know, all the internals, you know, it's all good. Mm-hmm. But everything on the outside, I got the pre-place. So they're like, yeah, it's not worth it. Too much. So meteorology, Twister. So what, I mean, that that obviously drove you to that major. Yeah. How'd that go at UNL then? Uh, at, I ended up being the vice president of the meteorology club. Nice. When I ended up graduating. And so... Yeah, there, there's only like a handful of people that usually end up making it through these programs because, you know, you have like the easy 200 level course for like introduction to meteorology. Mm-hmm. And then you get like the one that's on steroids that basically goes through like in depth, like, you know, the physics of like a, the raindrop falling through the atmosphere, uh, calculating like the terminal velocity for like all that stuff. And so like those equations are super fun to kind of do. <laughs> um, and there was like the dynamic meteorology, which... Isn't really my my strong suit. It was more like the physical meteorology and synoptic weather meteorology, which is kind of what my master's uh, research was on. What's, uh, what's the difference between those two, physical and dynamic? Uh, physical has to do like a physical like property. So like if I were to like look at you know let's say light and like how it's reflecting off of stuff, whereas dynamic is basically how motion of the atmosphere. Okay. That's kind of cool. So that's not your strong suit, though? No, not not doing all those super fun dynamic equations. (laughs) They don't sound fun. Yeah, everything down there is, like, you know, IDL-based, which is a programming language. And, you know, it was kind of bad where, you know, you're you're doing, like, all these classes and they're like, all right, do this, you know, program in in IDL. And so then, you know, since I was such a quick learner at, at programming, you know, I, I would do this and then I would hand it to the instructor and be like, is, is this how it's supposed to be? And most of the time I was like, I, I don't know. I haven't done it yet. It's like, well, you know, then I don't know what really the point is here if I'm <laughs> already outpacing the instructor. Yeah. <laughs> that's Yeah, that's not good. When you decided to go into meteorology, did you know like what you wanted to do with it at that point in time? Or did you just go in with a mentality of... Like, because obviously there's a weatherman, there's a whole different, like, piece of areas that you can plug into it. Did you know where you wanted to plug in or just go through the classes and then figure it out? Well, at that point, you know, besides doing, you know, going out and being, you know, like a tornado chase or something like that, you know, I, you know it was my dream to go to work at the National Weather Service. That's why I did my internship there. But then trying to, like, get a job with the National Weather Service, it's kind of hired with just only the bachelor's degree, uh, basically kind of requires a either military service to basically give you the extra points or a master's or some sort of like higher degree. And so when I would put in for these positions, you know, there's different locations. My, the one that I almost got hired for was a uh, Playwell, Colorado. Yeah. Uh, the reason I didn't get hired for there is because like, Oh, you didn't say that you were going to be doing some like research is like, well, this is an entry level job. I didn't realize I needed to have like a research idea in mind for me to get this job but you had to have like a like a specific area you wanted to study or or what just like some sort of like topic that oh you know if i get hired you know i would think about you know oh studying about hail or you know <sighs> some sort of like updraft hmm. is that a requirement for most positions there then or no i think they just kind of wanted like some sort of 
you to have an idea an idea you know what to bring to the team because normally when you do like stuff like the national weather service most of the people there are just they go in and forecast and so you're cooperating with different you know surrounding areas so like there's one in valley they would coordinate with like des moines or hastings mm-hmm. and sioux falls i think those are the three closest ones for us hmm. so you said you had your bachelor's at that time. You got your master's though, right? Yeah, I ended up getting my master's. So between getting your bachelor's and your ma- how many like year like how much time in between there? Let's you see, go right got, away or? Uh, let's see. I got. I think I took a year off between my master's because I thought you know I was trying to get the job. Mm-hmm. But I didn't get the master's, but yeah, I wasn't proving too difficult, too easy. So yeah, you had to, even for you to do the master's, you had to take a specific test. That they call it uh, the GRE, and it's math. Imagine that. And then a bunch of English. And so, like, you have to figure out, like, like vocabulary. It was kind of just, like, ridiculous. It was like, oh, can you tell me what the definition of, like, flag is? And, like, you have to figure out, like, which part definition of flag are they talking about? Like, instead of, you know, like, a regular flag, it'd be, you know, like, oh, a third definition of, like, a flag. It's like, So, what? I guess, do they need that for writing papers? Or, was like, what? why was that a... Uh english requirement for that yeah it's kind of more like research-based so like way that if you do you know when to do like proposals because mm-hmm. that's basically what grad school is you go in you do a whole bunch of research you you have to do some sort of like master's thesis you know phd does like a dissertation which is even harder you know for the masters uh you know my advisor at that time you know he he was pushing me to end up going doing my phd he wanted me to move my family from you know, Lincoln, Nebraska, he wanted me to go out to Iowa City and do chemical engineering and do my PhD. I, do the, I was like, you know, I already did the the one paper with you. I don't really have time to be out here for like another 10 years and do mm. another three research papers with you to do all this stuff. So I was like, I'll, I'll take my chances and see if I can finally get a job. Okay, so you get your master's. What did you do your dissertation on? What was your... Uh, It was one of the... The articles here, uh, basically, it's about sulfur dioxide in basically the North China Plain. Okay. And basically, you're using different reanalysis with, you know, like NSEP. They basically have, you know, geopotential heights, temperature, relative humidity, and you probably... You try to find some sort of link between, like, high SO2 events and... So that that, China, that, that paper in there was your dissertation? That's my master's research that is, yeah, published. Huh. I didn't realize that. I thought, I thought you did that afterwards. No, that, that was... We'll, we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, so, obviously, ahead. like, high school was, was pretty easy for you. Um, college was pretty easy since you were kind of out maneuvering or out doing some of the professors. Master's, same way. Uh, pretty easy or eh. did it have other there was one class that you know my master's really struggling I, I i i knew the professor i knew it wasn't gonna be you know the easiest and so i was like you know i'm gonna i'm gonna leave this one off my moc because like I, I i heard like all the horror stories and how it can be is like i'm just gonna leave it off so i ended up taking this class because i wanted to learn radar meteorology and like one of the studies you know i had to do is basically you you take you take time away from your family and you went on like Easter break and he he put his like research ahead of like other people so he wanted to study like wakes behind like a, a wind farm mm-hmm. and I was like well I I don't really care about that because I 
since I do a lot of like small scale stuff like dust and stuff like that. So I was like, it's like, you know, what, what can we do with this? And he's like, you know, you basically kind of see like insects being, you know, up in the updraft as, you know, the storm is like sucking up the insects. Uh, I was like, well, uh, okay. So I'm going through the data and I was like, you know, it's, we didn't really get any good data at all. So I had to take the Doppler on wheels and they basically rent these uh, different machines from other universities or uh, projects. Cause like we he only had it for that time. I think we have it for like a week. And so then I take it out to some lake down in Lincoln. And so like that, that time you're, it's not, you know, raining. It's not doing anything. It's, it's clear skies and you're out in the middle of the lake. People are fishing and they're like, you know, what is this machine that's, you know, right next to the lake as I'm trying to fish. And so, you know, it, it's leveling itself. It's, it's gearing on. And then you, and so I was like, so I, I'm looking for like my biological scatters. So I'm looking for birds really. And so you basically try to like stimulate the birds to basically kind of like go inside, you know, like the path of the radar. And so like, as you get back at the and you go through like all the different variables, like, so like the correlation coefficient and stuff like that. And you try to like, okay, here's this like one pixel here. This might be a bird that's like in frame of the radar at that time. And it, it was like, it was terrible. And like, I, I remember he gave like a, like a C out. And so I don't even know if he really even read it. Cause like, you know, it's not done anything. I'm sure he right. just like kind of looked at it. I was like, oh, here's a C. That's that probably what it was. So that was your most difficult class? Yeah, that was. Ever? Uh, I guess even challenging, I guess for like college, uh, high school, I did Miss Henry's research composition. Oh, dude, I don't want to talk about it. (laughs) (laughs) I, I, that, that was the one class that almost, almost made me not be able to play football senior year. Did you, did you have to take it twice? No. Oh, I took it twice. I, oh, you took it twice. (laughs) I had (laughs) so it was worse for me. It was worse for you. Yeah, because, uh, you know, basically, I think it was like 90% of like, you know, the final was, you know, your... Your paper. Your paper. Yeah. And so I remember doing... That's uh, so funny. <laughs> I remember doing the paper on like stem cell research and I thought it was just great and I get it back and she just like destroyed it. was like, yep. you know, like this idea of like stem cell research is just like a bunch of like hodgepodge ideas. It's like, yeah. And so like uh, it like really like tore me down. I was like, ugh, like, I really can't like have this beyond like my you know like final report is being yeah. like that's a giant f it's kind of funny i was i was so into taking like higher classes senior year and junior year actually i had her i had her twice because i took her her english class before i took her comp class <laughs> yeah and, and this is nothing this is nothing bad against miss henry oh yeah Ms. but Ms. she's Hen- a great teacher and she does a good job but boy will she tear your work apart yeah i, I really you know, when you kind of go back and think about it, you know, Miss Henry is, you know, since I do a whole bunch of like research, you know, really her being, you know, part of my life has really contributed towards, right. you know, my work since I do all this, you know, different research, you know, right. different published papers. She right. challenged awesome. you to challenged the max. Yeah, oh, yeah. She was, she's a great teacher. Um, yeah. So anyway, so I don't, that was kind of a tangent on that, but that's, that's kind of cool that, that we have that in common. <laughs> I didn't take it twice though. <laughs> I took my C and got out of there. Uh. <laughs> We'll um, just take this and go. So where were we? I forget where we were at. We were at your. Where were we, what were we talking about? This is the first time this has ever happened. To me. We were just wrapping up his masters. Oh, your masters. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, uh, 
so originally I was actually supposed to go to China as on, uh, as a, like a fellowship or like a visiting kind of scholar. At the end of your master's or? Uh, yeah, your... towards the end of my master's. They, they wanted to send me out to China, go to, I can't remember if it was a Beijing or Chengdu University, go out there for a year and, you know, learn about, you know, chemical transport and, you know, satellites. But then, you know, like the day before I got to turn in like all that paperwork, you know, I find out that at that time my daughter I was like, uh, so then I go into my professor's like, you know, I, I can't submit this. You know, basically when I'm supposed to be out there is supposed to be when I'm having my daughter. I was like, you know, that, that's perfectly fine. Don't, don't worry about it. When did why you, why uh, China? Uh, I think because he's from China. My, oh, my okay. professor, June Wong. From, okay. So, yeah, he, he wanted me to pursue going out there for just like a year or so doing studies out there gotcha when did you and your wife get married we got married 2012 i'm trying to think so you would have been you would would you have been done with your schooling by then probably not huh? mm, yeah i got my bachelor's i think in 11 so you weren't yeah. done with your master's though yeah no master's i just started because i think i started my master's january of 12 we got married of april in 2000 April 2012, and I got my master's in 16. So that was kind of a crazy thing that you couldn't go do that with having your daughter on the way? Yeah. It was actually easier for me to remember the start, the day that we actually started dating. <laughs> and actually just, uh, you know, remember, you know, when our actually anniversary is because, like, it's actually a football reference because it was, like, December 2nd of 2006, the day that Nebraska lost to Oklahoma in a Big 12 <laughs> championship game. Because I remember going down to the game and just, like, Nebraska just getting beat. It was, like, uh, that game was cold down there in Kansas City. It was, like, ah, oh, I got to go back home and... And deal with this. Yeah. So after your master's, what was your path after that then? Yeah, after a master's, I, I couldn't find a job. I, I was actually had to start working at Shopco. Oh. And, and I was... Uh, and you were still in Lincoln at this time? I was, I was still in Lincoln uh, working at Shopco. And I was also doing FedEx in the morning. I was doing like FedEx from like 5 a.m. to like 8 a.m. And then working at like Shopco from like... 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. Reloading trucks at FedEx? Is that what you're doing? Or? Uh, I was a sh sorter. Oh, okay. So like uh, Lincoln was such a, a big enough place that it actually needed, you know, a lot of people. So like they would have, uh, there was like three or four people on like each door. There'd be like six doors like unloading. And there was like a couple of people up, on, up in the tower and they had like three different belts. And so, you know, one set of people throw it down like belt 100 and then there's another people that sit down 300 there's a 600 and then all the rest of the boxes come down to me and so that i'm pushing off boxes for like even odd and then uh in lincoln they have a special service at that time i don't know if it's still around it's was like home delivery services mm -hmm. so it's basically just fedex trucks that would go to just regular neighborhoods instead of like going to like businesses like walmart right and so i mm -hmm. throw boxes off for like those people and pull it off for myself so you have your master's degree and now you're working two jobs trying to find a job. Yeah. And so then I remember coming out here and I interviewed for an environmental scientist for, I forget the company that's up north. Ooh. Hmm. I don't know. Up north. Close to town? Yeah. It's just on the outside of town up here. Uh, by Victory. Because it's not Norfolk Iron Metal. It's the one. Oh, Nucor? Is that Nucor? Yeah, Nucor is out north town. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So then I interviewed for that, and I remember, you know, I, I got the rejection letter, and I was just, you know, at that point, I was just kind of really depressed because it was like, you know, I can't even get back to Norfolk. And so then, you know, my wife was, 
You were really wanting to get back here? Well, because it was like, you know, I've, I've been nice to get back, you know, there, but, you know, I wasn't, it, you know, it was one of the like rare opportunities that I had to get back to Norfolk. Mm-hmm. And be in the, and be in the environmental area. Right. right. And so then, you know, I, I didn't get the job. My wife hops on. She's like, here's a, here's a job for like a senior staff scientist for atmospheric and environmental science. And so I was so mad that I didn't get the job. I just used an old cover letter for like another company. I didn't even change it to basically dedicate towards like AI. I remember it, was, <laughs> it had like the old company on the cover letter. Really? I did. And like, <laughs> it's like I sent it like at like eight o'clock at night and then like nine o'clock in the morning, I got a phone call from like one of the guys off at, off at Air Force Base. And it was like, do you want this job? I was like, uh, hell yeah, I want that job. <laughs> and so, yeah, they, they brought me down there. They basically gave me a tour of off at Air Force Base, you know, basically go through like all the areas, talk through all the different people, walk me around. I was like, are you sure you still want to do this? I was like, yeah, I, I really don't have really anything else to go. Uh, I I remember, you know, after I got that job, uh, you know, since I was still applying to all these different places, there's uh, the the Yuma Proving Grounds, there's, I think, the Army's version of, like, the National Weather Service. Yep. They contacted me. It was like, hey, you know, we, we did this you know, interview, like, four months ago, and you do you want to, do you want the job? I was like, well, you were supposed to let me know, like, two weeks after I did the interview that, you know, you're going to give me this job. So, like, you know, four months is a little late. That's like, the government for you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I stuck it with AAR, and, you know, I've been there ever since... Oh, what is it? Twenty seventeen, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I think it was June of seventeen is when I got hired. That's crazy. So you, so obviously we kind of talked about coming back to Norfolk. So at that time you're still in Lincoln when you got the job. Yeah. And so yeah, then you know I got the job. I'm I'm traveling back and forth between Lincoln and going to off Air Force Base. And you know you basically every day. Every uh. In the beginning, yeah, it was basically every day. So, you know, you spend like the hour going there and then the hour coming back. And, you know, since, you know, it's really hard for me to like shut my brain off, mm-hmm. uh, you know, during that time, it's just basically, you know, it's the open road. And so like, if I ever had such a difficult question or some sort of like problem with, you know, my programming, since that's basically like 99% of my job, uh, it's basically, you know, like just coding in my brain and thinking of like ways of how things would work and you know you basically come home after you're working and you try it out and it's like hey it's great and so you know after a while i think it was like a year that i had working there uh because yeah because when you're on off at air force base you don't get to use the government internet like they don't have right they don't have wi-fi right everything is all landlines <laughs> right and there's reasons for that yeah and so uh, AER would purchase like their own like little mobile hotspot, and I think, you know, they were using they would get like two gigabits for a month, and so like I would go through that in like a day, probably not even a day, and so yeah, because I'm going through and just downloading a whole bunch of data and right. coding, going through different websites and going through all that, and it was like you know I I'm downloading doing all this stuff here at Alpha Air Force Base, um, you know, Veris is paying for this wi-fi and i was like kind of concerned you know should I, should I start staying home and i was like yeah you know you've worked here for like a year now so i, I think you can go home and you can start you know doing more work from home kind of right. stuff so yeah this this was before you know 
you know, the pandemic, mm-hmm. COVID-19. So I, I, I've been able to, to work from home, you know, way before that. Right. So. Yeah. Cause, cause the, co- the main company, AAR, uh, they're based out of Lexington, Massachusetts. So basically kind of like Boston. Right. So what was the final decision on being able to come back to Norfolk then? Or, how, you know, walk us through that process or why you wanted to anyway. Oh, I, 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 I it was again, I did not want to come back. And my wife wanted to oh, come you back. didn't want to come back. I, I didn't want to come back. Okay. Uh, but we basically kind of made a joint decision to make my wife happy. And, <laughs> and you know, since, you know, you know, family is really important to, right. to her and everything. You know, she has Emery, has, you know, cousins and all, you know, both of her grandparents were up here in Norfolk. So it was like, you know, spend time with grandparents. Yep. So that way she can be closer to family because, you know, it got really kind of difficult to, you know, say, okay this weekend let's go home to Norfolk and go see my mom or let's go home and see, you know, my wife's parents or see my dad. Right. And so you're basically trying to like plan, you know, seeing, so you're, you're coordinating <laughs> try to visit all the family and, you know, In the weekend. Yeah. Basically yeah. on the weekend. So you're basically, it's like, Oh, we saw these guys, you know, X amount of times. And, you know, you're trying to divvy it up. It's like, Oh, you've seen, you know, Layla's family, you know, a couple more times and you need to spend more time with, right. you know, my side is like, oh, this is just getting really, really kind of tiring. So it was like, you know, let's, let's just try to do that. And so, you know, her work, yeah, she had been there for about 10 years and they finally decided to let her work from home. So she has an office inside the house. You know, my, my office is my couch, <laughs> you know, real professional. Right. So it's a little bit easier to balance time with family members this way. Yeah. Yeah, sure. a big big yeah. word on the podcast is balance. So yeah, yeah. My my mother actually lives like a block over, so I can hop over there whenever I want to. Nice. Did you help to her get scoop away? her driveway? No. Oh. <laughs> yeah, she actually had surgery on her foot like a month ago, and so I I since you know I was so bad out you know the last couple of days I didn't get a chance to to make it over there and do anything maybe because you know I still got you know try to work and then try to scoop my driveway just to even get out and then right. yep. try to make it over there. Yep. Right. Just so everybody knows, we are recording this on the 9th of January. So this was the big, the day after the big snow. So yes. just, this will be coming out a couple, in about a week. So just want to make sure everybody knows what we're oh, going to talk yeah. about next Sorry. week. My bad. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> um, so coming back, have you seen the city change since you were younger? Like leaving, coming back in, in, in a good way, a bad way? Norfolk? I guess to me, it seems like it's just kind of like gone downhill because it, it like nothing has really changed i guess like for me because like, like i know like the mall has like really deteriorated mm-hmm. uh you know you drive through the parking lot it's just terrible it's just like potholes everywhere i think they kind of like done some like patchwork on it they did some asphalt work yeah yeah they they brought in these like two new uh stores so what Coles and Coles and i believe tj max. max and then they got any uh not any time um planet, planet. fitness yeah, so because I, I I used to work at Imperial Palace. Yep, I remember that. And so I, I spent you know basically all my my high school there working for Ken Maud and Imperial Palace. He still owns that, right? No, he he sold that and he moved out to Wayne. Oh, okay. I had, it was probably when we were seniors. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, okay. That's my bad. Yeah, because then Cody bought it and Cody just recently moved away because they got new owners now. He moved out to Georgia. Oh, I didn't realize that. So there's a new owners now. Yeah, it's new owners now. Hmm, I didn't realize that. But yeah, so, I mean, like the mall doesn't really have anything. Because like, I remember before, like the mall was like the hot spot to be. Like, when, I, we were, when we were younger, yeah. 
I mean, yeah, I remember, you know, working in the, the food court. It was just, you know, busy all the time. You know, Sunday, people get done with church. That thing was just filled. You know, that would take up your entire day from like 12 to 6. Mm-hmm. And now I go in there, it's just, you know, it's just dead. Right. It's just, I just have a hard time, I think, you know, getting anything into there. Like, because like even, because what? I, I, I left in 2006, you know, it's 24 now. I, the town's like we're really growing by like 5,000 people. I think yeah. like, as like uh, industry-wise, like there really hasn't been any growth. Like there hasn't been any new companies. Like sure, we've gotten a couple like new restaurants. Like yeah, there's like Perkins. The downtown has really bloomed. It's a lot better than what it was. Like because mm-hmm. I remember, you know, driving up and down Maine, you know. Right. Like, you know, as you're, you know, as your teens, you're, you got those cool little lights <laughs> that you put on your car. Right. Subsystems, yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess you're probably right. Industry, we've had Nucor forever. We've had Norfolk Iron Metal for a long time. Uh, uh, yeah, there's, there's Goodyear. I did Goodyear for a while. They've been here for a long time. Continental now. Yeah, no, it's oh, yeah, something it, else. It was, now, it was Goodyear, it? then it was Vance, and then now it's Continental. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Then we got Cavity, and I'm trying to think of. We don't have too many other big industry. They were they were trying to bring in another hose. Or, Something, I don't remember. That was supposed were, to be some sort of like ethanol plant. Was it an ethanol plant? Okay. I couldn't remember. If it was another hose place, kind of like Goodyear, if it was going to be ethanol plant. But yeah, you're right. I kind of never thought about it that way. That's a new perspective that the mm-hmm. city really hasn't um, really grown a whole lot since you left in 06. And 5,000 is not too many. That means a lot of people are... I think that was one of the big proponents of what Josh was trying to get, was get people to stay to... You know, a lot of people leave graduate and leave and don't come back right like yeah. you did yeah because yeah because like you know I'm, I'm in lincoln and you know lincoln has you know uh, a lot more you know available so like if i wanted to go let's say to a zoo if i wanted mm-hmm. to go see a movie you know a specific doctor that has, was more specialized instead of saying you know oh i gotta go to columbus or i gotta now make a trip to omaha or lincoln right yeah i'm already i'm already there right yeah. And when you are in Lincoln, you're only, what, 45, 40 minutes from Omaha, too. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I get I get what you're saying. I can see that. I think uh, I think we're trying to get there, but it's going to take a while to get, think, to get to that point. Do you think there's a big gap in some certain area in Norfolk that we could need? Like as a type of service? Yeah. Uh, I don't know what. Like, what were some of the biggest things and best things that you did in Lincoln that maybe Norfolk <laughs> doesn't have. Or maybe it was just not you just focused on school. Norfolk, <laughs> it's 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 growing. We'll a lot see. of people I see like what she's trying to get to is like Norfolk we have a lot of restaurants and bars. Yeah. Not a whole lot of extracurriculars. Well I I, I, I mm-hmm. even remember that, you know they're trying to build the the go kart races. Yeah. And that didn't you know, take off because I think one of the main reasons was, you know, they didn't think Norfolk was big enough to sustain well, funding, funding mm-hmm. kind of, from what I saw, I think funding kind of fell through. Yeah, cause I, cause I thought like the investors wanted it to be somewhere else. I thought they wanted it to be in like Grand Island cause it was going to be, you know, bigger attraction, mm-hmm. get more of the state to come into it instead of like, you know, Norfolk, Nebraska. I was like, you know, what, what am I going to come to Norfolk, Nebraska for? I was like, you know, people are thinking of, you know, coming to Norfolk, Nebraska, you know, for, you know, like the weekend for something. Right. Know? I mean, yeah. sure, we got, there's supposed to be the new whitewater rafting, but as far as, you know, like amenities, like nobody's really coming here for, 
you know specific not from farther distances yeah. we do have i think sometimes people forget we do house like our, our community cities madison battle creek pierce stanton but those are only so big too you know they could they come here for their stuff whereas sometimes people in norfolk leave to lincoln omaha sioux city um so i, I get what you're trying to say yes you know my wife does love the golf out here you know she she's Go, got, there's a lot of there's a lot of golf there's golf i just i'm not good at golfing <laughs> yeah because what they got yeah, you know, she she basically had Kelly's and she's got a fair play. You know, they they you know, El Dorado just got destroyed. Yeah. It's, and and yeah. now they're trying to to get that back up and going. Yeah, you know, I kind of hope they get that up back up and going cuz yeah, cuz you know, you drive by that and you see all the different fairways being all just dried up and it's kind of a sad state. When we were while. kids, that was a that was a good place to go some of the pictures they've been posting recently this last year it looks like they're making a lot of um improvements and stuff out there so they're that's trying they're i think, they, I think some, they got one of their old some leeway greenskeepers back so yeah that's good yeah and then there's the country club too which that country was a little, little more higher entry to get there but we do have there's a lot of golf courses in town well yeah because <laughs> people town. like golf except what the mooberry is on that el dorado yeah uh i don't know if yeah i don't know if owned he ran it. Oh, I ran it. I don't know if they owned it for sure. I don't know if they quote unquote owned it or not, but he ran it for a long time, I think. I don't even know if they're still in town. I don't I'm know because sure. I, I think the house that they lived in, I think somebody else is living in. So, yeah, I don't think. Yeah, I don't know. Um. So, yeah, as far as Norfolk, that's, we can leave that there. Um. So, you work at. Is it just atmospheric and environmental research? Is that what it's called? Yeah, a, uh, AER basically stands AER. for a- atmospheric and environmental research. It's like a subsidy of like Verisk. Uh, they Verisk is basically kind of known for like insurance. Oh, okay. I didn't realize that. So what what exactly on an overarching level? We don't have to get into everything yet, but what exactly do you do for AER? So I I do. Yeah, usually whenever I read my performance reviews, it's basically, you know, it chases the jack of all trades. So it's basically a whole lot of programming, and I do a lot of, like, AWS work. And so AWS is basically Amazon Web Services. And so I do, like, a whole bunch of, like, modeling work. So I do, like, Wharf Runs. I do Ski Chem. Uh, another model that I'm doing right now is it's called like CM1. And so it's basically like a 4D hail trajectory kind of pass. So you basically start at some point with like hail and you basically let this embryo grow and it accumulates hail. And then, you know, after such amount of time, then you want to see like all the hail fall out and you basically want to see, you know, how, you know, the storm is doing or kind of predicting what the storm is going to kind of be. So you give it like an initial input sounding, uh, so like different parameters. So like, you know, at surface it's, you know, temperature, wind, you basically try to do that for through the entire column and you basically kind of just make a simulation of what it should look like. Do those match up pretty well when stuff actually happens? Like, can you predict it pretty well? Um, for the most part. So yeah, one the, the stuff that I'm working on now, like the, I'm doing stuff with uh, South America hail. We were just running some war simulations and based on the parameters that, you know, we decided to choose and going off like the satellite, I was like one of the images. I don't know if you got to see one of those images. I kind of looked at them. Yeah, I forgot to print it in color, but I did print it out. 
yeah, so you basically get to see, you know, what the the radar returns are for, you know, the entire area. And then you get to see, like, the swath that at the, the satellite goes. And so you basically kind of compare what the, the, the truth is from, like, the satellite and what, you know, you're modeling. And you basically kind of say, it's like, yeah, you know what, this, this seems right. And if it doesn't, you basically might say, like, oh, we might want to tweak, you know, a couple of parameters within the model. Was and, that kind of what... Yeah, that, that that image right there. Okay, and I can send some of these images out when we do the are these available. Can they be? Sent, can people see these? Uh, or maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe we won't maybe do that. Not. Maybe we won't do that. <laughs> anyway, I just wanted to bring it up so we could see it. But um, yeah, so yeah. you kind of do some back review and say, okay, so we maybe missed the mark a little bit. Here's why, or here's how. So you keep kind of tweaking your predictions as you keep going. Yeah. So because because uh, like the thing is with like models, it, it's not truth that's why i basically call it a model is you basically kind right. of just like gauge trying to predict what's yeah. going to happen okay and so like i can basically come to you and basically says like oh I, I ran you know x amount of years worth of like hail data and you know this is what you know i'm simulating but then you know how do you take it as saying as this is you know how, how can i compare this to something that's actually available that's like truth and so we have to basically kind of you know modify it that says you know, you take the model data, you take the truth data, and you kind of uh, filter it all together, smooth it out, and basically say, is like, how is the model doing against ground truth? That way, is the model reliable or not? So on a, on a low level of this, you're basically saying if the conditions are right, this could produce hail. Is that kind of what? Yeah. Okay. That's, I mean, that's cool. So you did that for a whole that whole region then, South, South America? Uh, it's for a specific, like a subsection. I don't know what the coordinates really are. I think it's between like 10 and 30. Oops. Okay. Cause I noticed some of these images were also showing other countries, right? Yeah. So yeah, for this, this project that, you know, we got the, the money for, you know, we're, we're, we're focusing on South America. Okay. And obviously, so your your company works, obviously, with other, doing other countries. So did they request this or how? No. So these are through like, like contracts. So like, let's say NASA were to put out some sort of like proposal and say uh, that they want to, you know, study some sort of like hail or some sort of like idea. And so that we submit some sort of like proposal and say, you know, we can think of like this idea for X amount of dollars, either the people that work on it. And so, uh, if, you know, the people there like the idea, then they basically kind of like give us the funding. So is this kind of for uh, for South American crops or was this more for... So I get, when you think of <coughs> like hail and so like here in, in North America and really United States, uh, we have this thing called the SPC outlooks. And so with those, you can basically get like storm reports and those are... Those can be done by like emergency management. It can be done by me and you. And so, you know, the issue is with those, it's it's not really kind of like reliable. I mean, that's kind of like uh, with one of my research partners here is it's kind of, um, it's, it's what's called is population biases. So like it'll say that, you know, it, it rains, over, it rains, hails over Norfolk, Nebraska. You know, the National Weather Service puts out a, a warning that says, uh, severe thunderstorm warning is in effect for like Madison County. You know, these, 
there's some sort of like conditions that, you know, aren't that need to be met. And so usually like one of those is like, you know, wind speeds over, I think it's like 70 miles an hour, hail greater than one inches. And I think there might be one other criteria. And so, you know, the National Weather Service, they issue these warnings. And so when I did my time at the National Weather Service, you know, we had issued these warnings and then we don't really have a way to verify if it, if it just falls in an open field. And so what we would do is we would end up calling a lot of farmers and like their numbers would be available through some sort of like county, county book. And then I would go through it and I would call up and say, Hey, I'm Chase Calkins. I'm an intern for like the national weather service. I'm calling because, you know, we issued a severe thunderstorm warning. Uh, did you observe any hail? You know, was it you know, greater than like one inch? And you know, majority of the time, you know, people don't answer the people that do answer, you know, they're not really receptive to the phone calls. Like, how did you get this number? Cause it's unlisted. It's like, right. well, in the government kind of knows. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I was kind of wondering. I'm like, do they do they offer to do this and just be like, yeah, so, you so, can call me? And there's some people because like even like you know you go on like Facebook and you go on like the National Weather Service for Valley, and they always say it's like, oh, did anyone in, in the area that we issued did you guys get you know one inch or is like, hey, even with this past snowstorm, was it? Uh, what? How, how much snow did you get? And you know, I would like to go out to my house and you know do snow observations, but it's. You know, with the snow observations, you know, you're, you're not supposed to just go to like one spot and just and say, mm-hmm. oh, it was right. eight inches. You're, you're supposed to go out and go do several different things. So I can't go to my tallest drift and yeah. measure that's, that That's one. basically how I was, was like, you know, I, I got this <laughs> four foot drift here on like right. my sidewalk and then like, you know, my back patio, that's zero. So <laughs> maybe two foot then. Right. That's funny. So there's really no, is there not much technology to be able to see like hail actually in a storm then besides just having the quote-unquote right conditions? Uh, so uh, basically with this uh, the satellite, it basically kind of detects hail. And so it basically kind of gives like a probability that says uh, at this time, at this latitude, longitude, uh, there was like a, let's say like a 20% chance that this was hail. Or, you know, like let's say further down the line, like a couple minutes, you know, here's a, is that another, you know, latitude and longitude. You know, at this point was that like, you know, 90%. So, you know, basically kind of given like certain conditions, like, so, you know, we'd test these for like the null set, uh, let's say a medium case and then like a high probability case. And so you basically go through all these and basically kind of, you know, you track the storm. And so the way that we track the storm is we we use the GOES stationary satellite that's up in space and it has three different modes of tracking. So it basically kind of takes an, image every either five minutes 10 minutes or 15 minutes uh there is like some special times where you know you can get one minute resolutions but i didn't get a hold of that so like the stuff that i did you know is mostly either 5 10 or 15 minutes and so you know given you know you're looking at that point so let's say you know it's at you know let's say it detected hail over north nebraska Let's just make this easy. That's of like, yeah, make it easy. Make it easy. Instead of like some random town in South America that I might not know. You're good. And so let, let's say that the satellite's over Norfolk, Nebraska, and it says that oh, over Norfolk, Nebraska, at this time, you know, there, there was hail. I I I think it was like ninety percent chance. All right. So then I gotta go back and go through all the goes data, and this is like huge. This is like 
like petabytes worth of data. And so, you know, these files are so big that you don't want to download these things like locally because then you will fill up your space. Right. Real really, fast. Real fast. And so you basically got, uh, basically kind of like access their data, like on their, like on the cloud, on the cloud. Yeah. yeah. It, for that, it, like I refer to like with Amazon, like terms, it's like an S3 bucket. Right. And so you develop a program that basically says, you know, go out to this website with these special conditions, look at this, uh, advanced baseline imager and say, all right, let's open up the data. And I want to look for the closest point that's at, you know, Norfolk, Nebraska, you know? And so whatever the joke goes point is for Norfolk, Nebraska, is it, you know, less than 210 Kelvin? And if it was, then we say it's like, Oh, it, it, it was a hit. So we'll, we'll, we will track this storm now. So now you have to, uh, so then let's say that it wasn't so like, you know, it was like a 90% probability. It wasn't. So then you basically kind of just like reject it and you you store it off and say, you know, even this was like a 90%, you kind of just say, you set it aside for, you know, you know rejected. It, it didn't work. So like, let's say that now that it did, you accepted it. So now you basically got to go and figure out what all the different values are around it. And so you basically kind of, if you were to basically look at like a radar or mm-hmm. anything like that, you know, visually you, you can watch that go in, in time and space. Right. But now you have to think of a, a program that would basically kind of try to do that, you know, forwards and backwards in time. And so you basically start, you know, if it's within like five kilometers of this point, well, that was our threshold to say, you know, is this point within five kilometers between the coast point and this GPM point? And so if it was, then you... Say yes, and then you basically got to collect all the points around it. So then you're basically saying, you know, here's the upper left, upper middle, upper right, you know, middle left, middle right, and then the three bottoms. And then you basically are just getting the values for all those eight points from your one middle point. Hmm. And so you basically say, is like, is this first point, is that 210 or less? Yes. The next point is no. Third point, yes. And so you're basically keeping a record of saying, you know, this point here is, you know, less than 210. And you're basically going through that, you know, hundreds and thousands of times and just trying to figure out, you know, the shape of the storm. Right. And so then once you get that initial image, then you basically kind of have to track it forwards and backwards in time. And so then you have to basically say, is like, okay, where is the storm, you know, 15 minutes, you know, from now? And that was kind of, you know, difficult to basically kind of say, uh, you know, you know, try to figure out, it's like, you know, here, let's try to move the storm, you know, like, let's say X kilometers away, you know, that, that didn't really work because maybe it was either moving too fast and, you know, then you kind of miss it. So then you basically kind of take all the data points and you to make sure that you're actually still inside the storm. You kind of give it like some sort of like weighted average that says, I- I'm predicting that the storm's center is, you know, at some latitude and longitude you know, 15 minutes from now. And then, so then you pull up the next data repository and you load up the data and say, uh, 15 minutes from now is, you know, that latitude still, you know, 210 or less. And then you basically kind of do the same thing over again. You, you track the storm, you let it go further down and then it kind of dissipates. And then at that point you say, okay, the storm has died. And so now I got to do it all over again. 
and kind of just go backwards in time. And so like these storms, like I, I remember like one storm, it lasted down there in South America for like over 24 hours. And you know, I was showing it to Dr. Becky Adams, and she's like, oh, the, you know, this is real beautiful. Like, you know, we, we were able to track a storm, you know, for like over 24 hours. This was a huge, huge, massive storm. And so, you know, then after that, then you do a whole bunch of other data sets and you compare it against like level two data and say, okay, uh, how many like points of like, like for like radar at or above like a certain threshold, let's say like above 30, how many pixels are above 30? How many pixels are above 50? So usually what kind of like with uh, like DBZ, I think there's like some sort of like threshold. I don't know if it's the 30 or 50 that says, you know, you kind of correlate that to maybe mm-hmm. say like one inch or more hail. And so then you basically kind of have to uh, define the storm. Is is a storm, you know, like kind of like scattered or is it like a multi-cell organized cell? And so you classify all those and then you go out and then you get some like the environmental variables. So you're like stacking data on top of data on top yeah. of data. It's it's a whole bunch of data that's just basically kind of thrown all together. And it's like, you know, what can we really do with that? And so, you know, then we kind of like say, what is like the environmental, uh, you know, area around, you know, that point uh, that we initially had. So, you know, what it, so like the data sets that we, that are being like incorporated now, at least that I use for like, like war simulations, mm-hmm. it's called like ERA-5. Of course, I don't really know what they stand for. You know, <laughs> that's that's the entire thing about the scientific community. It's you know, it's just acronyms upon upon acronyms, and so you you get all these, you know, all these different data sets, and you get the environmental variables, and then you kind of put it up in other programs, and you calculate you know storm relative helicity or cape. Let's say you know, because like, let's say you. And like the sin. So basically when you're thinking like those variables, you're basically kind of saying like, you know, like Cape and sin, that's more kind of like related to like tornadoes. It's mm-hmm. basically the conditions are right or not right for, you know, tornadic activity or some sort of like hail activity. And so that's kind of like what some of those like bar graphs earlier were showing. Here. So... So yeah, you're comparing like goes against like the ML mid-level cape and the lapse rates. Gotcha. So th- this this sounds very um, time-consuming and complicated. Yeah, it, it, <laughs> a little bit. Yeah, you, since I'm on several projects at once, usually how they divide up my time is like uh, I think like even this year, I think I'm like scheduled for like 670 hours or so for like this project. And so, like, the stuff that I'm working on right now is, like, this CM1 model where I'm, you know, trying to basically kind of get, like, all these processors to kind of talk to each other to make these runs run faster. Because, you know, we got to make these runs run for uh, how many hours at a time. And then you you get, like, all the hail that falls out, and then you kind of, like, add it back to the storm and simulate the hail growth and all the different... uh, size that it's going to be or what the, or the radar t- return is going to be. So you had to find out w- how much, how big the hail was in certain areas. And then so, like, so you, you can't, so with the C1 
the CEM1 model, it, it'll do that, but it, it's kind of, it's an idealized model. So it's not, it's like perfect conditions. Oh, so, so it's, it's not, not, okay. Okay. Makes sense. And your focus is literally just on the hail part. Like it doesn't have necessarily anything to do with the whole rest of the storm, just the hail piece. For that study, right? Yeah. So it's basically kind of just saying like, this is like the environmental variables that are like typical for like hail growth, maybe in like South America. Okay. Right. Yep. Is there anything else you want to talk about on that specific study? Uh, Anything important? Yeah, I don't think there's much unless there's some other images on there that you wanted to. Well, it's tough to with them not being able to with the listeners not being able to see them. It's I don't want to talk too much about images. That's why it needs to be like a video one. A video. I, it's gonna be. Yeah, it'll be a video one. I don't know how much these images you wanted out. I didn't know for sure. We'll, we'll have we'll have you back on again and we'll talk more about other stuff when we actually have video in like a month. <laughs> um, so if you want to get maybe on a high level or or whatever you know, <clears throat> get into like maybe the air quality. Study, I can pull that up too. I didn't know if you want to do, or we can. We're, we're at it about an hour, so I don't know how much we can do. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I kind of want to know a little more about that ammonia, the ammonia study. If I can find it, is that this one? Nope, that was. Um, do you know which one of these files it was? It was a. Uh... NH3 validation one, the one of the brown. This one? Yeah. Okay. So can you go into that one a little bit for us? Yeah, so this is actually a journal call that actually just got uh, published on Monday the 5th. And so with this one, you're, you're basically kind of, you're taking NH3 observations, so NH3 is ammonia, and you're basically kind of going over like, farmland and you're kind of just trying to figure out what the concentration is over like the farm and so like you're taking aircraft measurements is this a climate change study then or no uh not really climate change it's more kind of like a, a validation gotcha so like there's in situ ground sites that are you know per i think probably i don't think for like state level i don't think there's any sort of like nh3 like threshold Cause I think like the EPA might be trying to get something like that, but I think like as far as like state level, that's kind of what I was asking you. Cause I know that they're trying to say cows are farting too much. And right. like, yeah. I'm like, does this have to do with <laughs> cows are bad. <laughs> cow farts and flatulence. Um, so anyway, go, go ahead. Sorry. Oh, yeah. So basically got all these different, like, you know, farms, I think this one was in Idaho and there was like a, just a kind of like cluster. And so, so you have aircraft that would basically fly through different levels of the atmosphere recording uh ammonia levels and then then you have two different types of or yeah because i think airs is the aircraft airs and chris as satellite against the aircraft and so you kind of compare the two different uh instruments against the aircraft and then and so it's kind of getting kind of real technical there because then uh with that stuff you're basically kind of talking about constraint vectors and averaging kernels. So with like the averaging, uh, the constraint vector, I want to say, what is that? That is, I have to find it. You can even look at you. I got it up here too. It's kind of hard to see on here, but so basically what 
Yeah, so yeah, the constraint vector yeah, is basically kind of, it's estimating the true state of the atmosphere. And then the averaging kernel is basically trying to gauge, you know, the sensitivity of that constraint vector, so the sensitivity of that retrieval. So since the satellite can't really, it, it, as the satellite looking down, it, it'll have an observation, but it's not the true overall observation because, you know, the atmosphere isn't, you know, clear. There's right. there's a bunch of stuff in the way. So you basically kind of had to remove the atmosphere. So that's why you are applying all these different uh, constraint vectors or averaging kernels to it. You're basically trying to get, like, what is the true value of, like, that point? Which is what you need, like, the plane readings for and all that, or...? So you're yeah you're you're taking those plane readings. So you're taking the satellite images, and you're taking the plane readings and kind of comparing them. Is that what you're kind of doing, or? Yeah. So you're basically kind of saying like, what is the? Uh, so like you're saying like, so you're taking the aircraft, or you're taking you're taking the satellite minus like the aircraft, and you're just trying to see what the difference is between <laughs> at at these certain levels. Okay. So. NH3 is is also just naturally produced on the planet, right? Yeah. Okay, so adding that with, that can also be produced by plane emissions or fossil or fossil fuels or no? Yeah, kind of. <laughs> <laughs> in, in the little, I didn't do a whole lot of research, but. So I guess it's, so this, so you, what, what did your study conclude with then, I guess? It's basically just kind of like an evaluation, yeah. Because you know, I'm just basically kind of like a contributing author on this. So like you know, Karen was the one that basically is like the first author, and so mm. she's the one that basically kind of like comes out and finds me and says, "Chase, I want you to go through like all this data and make all these different images." So like that—that's like my role within like this. So like she's telling me exactly what to do. So is that what you do with a lot of the studies? So you just kind of uh, the majority of the studies, yeah. Data points and image amount, yeah. So cool. like, kind of like, you know, the last thing that we were talking about with the South America hail. So like, you know, that project's, you know, Dr. Becky Adams Celine, and, you know, she comes to me and she's like, you know, Chase, you know, here, here's the project that I have. And, you know, I want you to basically kind of create, you know, these so images for the paper. The, the graphs and stuff? Yeah. Okay. So when it comes to these, I know you said they can they come to you and talk to you about them. Are, do you have the opportunity to volunteer in certain projects do you know about the projects before you're no asked to participate in no. them I, I would actually be you know real nice if i get you know because like you know they they say at the end of the year that oh chase you're you're fully booked like you're 300 percent booked yeah and so like we need to kind of you know like make sure that you know you're not working 24 7 so i right. need to you know think wisely of your time and so you know you're still gonna you're gonna work on these projects this year and so yeah i, I don't really get like a choice but, you know, since there's seems to be some sort of like demand for like the kind of work that I do. Yeah. Either with like, you know, the different Amazon web services that I can do, you know, the programming, uh, how efficiently I can make everything, you know, you know, paper quality images. You know, it, it's uh, kind of like an in-demand job for me. So you kind of have somebody who that I'm assuming you're not the only person that does the kind of thing that you do. Or are you? So make these images or yeah. like, yeah, right. So yeah, the, the team, there's a whole bunch of people that, you know, work for AR. Most of it is, you know, proposal based. And so like, even like Dr. Becky Ansley, like she can make, you know, her own images. Like, you know, majority of those images, I think, you know, the beginning of, 
you know, the paper that I sent you for the South America Hill, like those are like images that she was talking about with having to do with like, you know, like the mountain ranges. Mm-hmm. So is she giving the information to somebody and saying, I need somebody that can do this. I need somebody that can do this. And you have somebody within the company that's dedicated to allocating the resources to these projects or do they kind of just pick who they need? Yeah. Does that I think question it kinda, even make sense? I think it, it goes like, you know, who, you know, what, what kind of like demand does, you know, like this project need. So like even, even this week, uh, you know, like we were trying to put together a team for NASA for like a, a fire team. And of course I haven't done anything with, with, with fire ever. So, but you know, like the items that they're, you know, wanting. So like modeling, programming. And it's all like that. random fires or just like. Uh, I don't know. We, we don't really know. What, oh, okay. Cause like this proposal is basically kind of like, like a intent say is like, Oh, here's, here's the, the fire weather team that we're going to do. And if the people say that they like it or not, then, mm-hmm. then we can go ahead and say that, you know, what we, what kind of like research that we would be kind of like focused in. Gotcha. So when it comes to like, let's say the, the South America study, how long were you working on that? I, I'm still, I'm still, still working it. on it. Uh, I think I've been working on it for at least a year now. I don't know if a year and a half, if it's just. Do so you guys publish something and then keep going? Eventually, so like she'll give like uh, like quarterly talks or so, or she'll go to different meetings and basically yeah. kind of present the research. And you know, at these conferences, you know, you you get together with all these other scientists and they look at your work and they say, "Oh, like, have you tried doing this or have you thought about doing this?" And then you come back and then you get that's how you get all these different ideas to kind of bounce around. And so, like at the end of this project, I think. I don't know if she's planning on just doing the one or, and, or if there's going to be two. Uh, I know there's actually a, a real huge one that we just submitted. I think the proposal was like around like $20 million. It it involves like a, like a handful of different universities. I think it's supposed to span like four some years. And so like we're hopefully going out and like renting a plane, flying it through thunderstorms and uh, so like what my job and that would basically be is getting all the, like the ERA five data. So like all the environmental variables and putting it inside the wharf and basically saying is like, okay, here's what the models say. I think this is where you guys should go fly the plane and, and get all the data. This is a manned cool. plane. Yeah. And they're going to fly through the storm. Yeah. Like in it. Uh-huh. Hope they have a good life insurance policy. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's crazy so, well, why aren't why aren't drones used for something like that there there are so like i think even like in like nebraska i think you have to get like special permits to kind of even like fly on this but like there's like i think there's like a small subsection in like southwest nebraska where you can do like unmanned like use drones and fly right. through storms okay but yeah usually i think like trying to get like the hoops to go through that because i think you know so it's easier to get a manned plane than it is to get a drone. Yeah, that makes no sense to me. That makes crazy sense. <laughs> yeah, because I think because like yeah, because you can only do it in that one section. And if we wanted to do it here in like town, I, I think why, it has it, to they do don't with, want like, other they don't want other drones. You know, somebody like me I, going and flying a drone. But I think it has to do with like you know like the government and you know with the air traffic controls and you know possibly hitting an airplane and stuff right. like that. Oh, huh. hmm. that'll be kind of cool to find that data out though. Yeah. So yeah, we we put that in. I think we're hoping to hear back from that in May and hopefully get that because that'll be, yeah, four years worth of work on that. And I think 
you know, the plan is for them to go out and do a couple conferences, a couple international conferences, and write uh, like two or three papers or so on that. That'll be fun. What's like the what's your favorite project that you've worked on <laughs> while being there? Tough questions here on this podcast. Because, yeah. yeah, you know, the, there's really not a whole lot that I don't really. Obviously, like, you enjoy your job. I, I, I enjoy the <laughs> yeah. job. It's, it's trying to find, like, you know, like, here's like maybe a project that I don't really care too much about because it, it doesn't really interest me or not. You know, since I tend to do a whole lot of like modeling work, you know, working with the wharf uh, and me doing like atmospheric chemistry, uh, you know, the one that I get to work on is like ski chem. And so, like, that one's kind of like a. And so like anyone can go out and use like these models, by the way, to begin with. So like you yourself, you can, you can go out and put this on your computer and run, you know, model simulations. Really? Right. So if you want. Just like software? Yeah. So when you, when you're doing this, like you can go out and find like free compilers. So like the, the one that everyone can use is called like G Fortran. Uh, if you ever had a chance to work with Fortran, uh, I suggest that you don't because never have <laughs> never. I don't know if I ever have. I think I just did that <laughs> last night. It's it's been around. I think it's I think it was at least developed I've in heard the early seventies. Yeah, yeah it, and I always I always tell Becky, you know, it's like you know, I I really dislike working with Fortran. You know, I, I I'm waiting for the day like everything just like goes to Python, and she's like, you know, it's not gonna go anywhere soon. It's like, yeah, I really hope they keep on making Python faster. That way, I, I can do all this stuff. And because like with Fortran, the the reason why Fortran is like so effective, it can just do like thousands of calculations. It's just like you know, like in an instant. And then you're trying to do it, the like all, and so you're doing like all these different processes within like you know, like milliseconds and it's just doing all these different calculations. So with today's technology, they haven't been able to come up with something better since the seventies. It's not that it hasn't been, it's just not like not developed for it. So like there's like the Fortran, there's like C plus plus like compilers. Right. And so like, that's what you kind of like, like Intel, if you want it to be slightly faster, (sighs) you can use like an Intel compiler, which is, you know, we, we bought a license, and so uh, whenever I do like my wharf runs, uh, that's what I use. I use an Intel compiler. Okay. And so like when I had to, so I had to, so like at that point I, I was basically kind of like a software engineer. And I, so you're basically trying to get like all, all the different libraries that are, that need to be compatible for this one model to work together. And so you're, you're installing uh, how many different ones, like I have a spreadsheet and instructions like on how to do it so like it's like it, it wasn't like ever coded so like people would be like how do you do this like and so like i was like i finally took the time i was like okay we'll put this on like aws and so you're going through and you you're you're gonna get through like hundreds of like compilation errors and so you have to go through and just try to figure out like each different one and so like like a big one with like amazon uh and putting everything on like like an S3 bucket, like it doesn't like, like soft links. And so basically like what a soft link is, it's saying like, you know, here, here's this, uh, program here, but it's really here. It, it doesn't like that. It, it wants it here. Got you. So hmm. you basically had to write your own little guide almost of what. Yeah. And these so that, that's basically kind of like the standard are. for like AER now is like whenever someone wants to use like wharf, it, it, they're using my, you know, like a little sheet that says like, here's how to install it. And then you put know. a patent on that. Yeah. 
Get a little, a couple dollars every time somebody uses it. I think I get a little, little recognition. It's like, yeah, oh, Chase did this. So like, if you have any questions, I email Chase. It's oh, like, and that's not, you don't want that, do you? Yeah. Because then, because yeah, because when we compile that, you're using like a specific like image or like an operating system. And so like when I built it, you know, you're doing basically everything on like Linux subsystem. And so like, you know, what we're doing now is called like CentOS 7. And CentOS 7 is, you know, deemed... Yo, you know, I think in a couple months. And yeah. so like now the issue is like, you know, and the company is like, oh, we want to use everything as like Amazon Linux as like our base image. And so now you're trying to go back and still using like the same instructions that I had uh, compiled and now they don't work. And so you're trying to go through and it's like, oh, well, you know, these libraries don't exist or you have to put on this special flag that will turn something on. And so I remember for like one of the projects that we were doing, because like they were saying, it's like we need to rebuild this whole entire library for like this image. And we're like, yeah, we don't have, you know, like the manpower for this. Like right now, let's, mm-hmm. let's put it off. And so like we're still using, you know, like a different image to, to run all these uh, different runs. Mm-hmm. And I think somebody else is probably going through and taking the time and, and trying to get all this stuff compiled as whatever the company wants. So all this programming and coding that you have to do, did you take a class? On that when you were going through college or is it just something you kind of knew or you had to learn it's it, everything is basically so like the fortran uh university of nebraska they had a fortran class uh just on I, that it's just on fortran uh and that's basically just you know you're going in there you're creating fortran programs and you're you're running them and you know you spit out some you know different messages so like you know the, the simplest program uh, executable is, you know, like hello world. And so you basically just with that, it's, you know, like a write start out out and stuff like that. And you just say print hello world. And, you know, you compile with the G4 train, then you execute the program and then you'll see on there, it says, Oh, hello world. And like Python, which is much, much easier. You just say print hello world. So with Fortran, so is that something specifically for your, industry or is that something that's used by other i guess that's maybe that's a dumb question but like for like the science community yeah a a lot of stuff is either written in fortran usually it's like f70 or f90 Mm -hmm. and then i think there's some c stuff but it's mostly the scientific community yeah okay i think the word that one of the main that people that use it i think there's probably so other other industries wouldn't use that for anything (laughs) probably probably not like okay. I, I know, like the scientific community, like that's they're fully dependent on like Fortran. So the class is basically for meteorology. Yeah, and yeah. so that was like one of the requirements. Okay, that we had to take. You had to take that Fortran class. But then, like okay. you know, the university was doing everything like IDL, and I think the university has now moved towards like Python, which is free. Okay, yeah. there's a lot more free, uh, free things, free, free, free software, things like that. Well, I think even out. like now, I, even in high school, like programming wasn't available. Not for us, no. No, because I think even now, I think there is now programming. Well, now they're starting to do simple coding in like grade school. Oh. I, I was going to say like... They call it coding, but... Well, in my previous um, job, they would partner up with some of the elementary schools and do some of that. And I think I heard, um, was it my nieces and nephews recently? They made the comment about how they went through this simple coding class, and yeah, they don't they don't call it that, it's, but and it's like it's like a game. 
that they play from what I remember Christian doing. Is it is it scratch? I wonder. I have no Maybe. clue. They just they call it like they said that they were coding. I, yeah. Shoot, I don't know what they were doing though. I don't remember. They probably didn't even know what they were doing. Yeah, because like, you know, one of my like I kind of want to get like a Raspberry Pi. Yeah. And because yeah. I don't know if you know much about like Raspberry Pi. I so, do. Yeah. Because like uh, if you want to make like your own like home weather station, you basically put in this uh, Raspberry Pi, and you can. It's basically a very basic PC. Yeah. yeah. And so like. You can do a whole bunch of different things like with this like a Raspberry Pi. So like if you want to block ads, you can create this program called like Pi Hole and it will just, you know, block out all ads. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, you can run like somebody had told me when I first was starting to build PCs when Christian was gonna get his that it, like a Raspberry Pi could run certain games. It's not gonna run like Call of Duty or nothing, <laughs> but it'll run like Minecraft. <laughs> I think the like the more advanced ones because I think you know it started off with like Pi Zero and I think they're up to Pi Four now or something. It's like just that. a little, yeah. So like if you very small, like if you do like racing cars or stuff like that, even like maybe I think even like BattleBots if you yeah. see stuff like on that, that's, it's like a more advanced motherboard. It's like a little piece. Okay, so that makes sense. Sure, it's got the whole yeah. I'm like, why, why raspberry? Where's the peach? Where's the apple? That's just what it's called. Oh, okay. Right. So you know, you have apple. I'm, I'm yeah. kidding. You have app. You have apple. We, yeah, that's true. Yeah, see? That's true. Quit asking for more. I know, I know. I'm needy. So Python's the favorite, though. Yeah, so... More straightforward, more clean. It, it's it's a lot easier to work with. It's, yeah. You know, it, it's free. It, it's really easy to learn. Uh, there's a whole bunch of, uh, I guess, libraries, I guess, is what the real term is called. But I guess I, I like to call them, like, functions. So if I want... Mm-hmm. Say if I want to develop like a function, I can import the function that I create, and I can create it into like my program. So that way, I don't like my program isn't you know like a thousand lines long. It's you know I send it out to another process to do it in some other library and bring it back to the main. So it program. sounds like way less steps. <laughs> is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Yeah. The the only real downside with Python is as that I found is yeah it's just kind of slow with like looping through items. So if mm. if you have like a huge amount of data, you know, trying to go through, let's say, you know, you know, millions of data points and you're trying to go through, you know, like, let's say a double or triple array and you got to go through, you know, one through a million and then inside of that, you know, one through a million for, you know, a nested loop. So then you're at, you know, a million times a million different, you know, you know, steps that you're trying to Mm. calculate all these different points for. And that and that gets like really slow, and that's when like Python or Fortran will come in through and you know do that stuff in you know just seconds. Can you mesh the two? Is it something you can? Yeah, so like Python does have a library. I think it's called F2Py, and where you would write something in Fortran, and then you basically kind of compile it as like a Python program, and then import it. So that's that's basically kind of like how I had to do uh, the South America hail stuff. As since you know, you're you're going through, and these storms can be so huge. You know, you're it's you're thousands of points. Data. And doing it with Python, you know, it's taking hours just to maybe go through like a single event. And so then you write it in Python. And, you know, it, it can go through in a whole entire, you know, like one fifteen minutes in just like a couple of seconds. So it it, it dramatically decreases. You know, your your runtime on your simulations or hmm. uh, just even you know simple programs. Well, wow. hmm. that's crazy. That sounds like you, you have a lot to do yeah. for everything you, you got going on. Yeah, and, and I think, you know, even one of the, just recently they were trying to make me kind of start doing stuff with like R, which is another 
programming. <laughs> you learn all these different yeah, things. I, yeah, you, you start off with the Fortran, and then you go to IDL, and you become like a master in like IDL, and then since IDL is, you know, profit-based, you got to pay for this license every single year, and I think that's why, you know, UNL kind of went away from it, and so that's why they went to Python, which is free. Mm. You, know, you know, there is some kind of maybe like security risk, you know, as you're downloading, you know, because I know that's... That was a huge thing with like with the government is trying to get them to incorporate all these different libraries and say like okay I I went home and I wrote this program and it uses these these libraries and then they go out and they do some sort of like risk assessment and say is like oh this module here it can be grounds for like somebody can hack in and try to get the data and so yeah, they're pretty uh, they're pretty uh, sticklers when it comes to what they take in program wise or what they let on base like. I worked for Sterling for a year, Sterling Computers, and we sold uh, computer equipment to two government programs. Uh, it was very tough to um, get. There's, you had to get certain part numbers. You had to get certain everything. It's crazy. Yeah, and, and so yeah, you, you get like all these waivers, and <laughs> and so and finally they finally relented, and they finally caved in to to do all this stuff. And but like. So I, I had written all these programs. And that's like, how China got in, huh? You? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. And so I, I wrote the stuff all at home. And then, so like, I want to put it, now I need to put it on like the government computer because that's where like all their data is because like, I can't take the data from the government and put it on my computer. Right. And so then. No, just Hillary Clinton could do that. Yeah, so I, I got, I basically got, a, instead of like emailing my, my program to myself on like the government thing, like they wouldn't let you do that. So I had to go in there and just like, redo the entire program on like their systems and get everything working and make sure it's still spitting out the same stuff that I'm getting on my side on right. their side. Well, how many hours a week on average do you work? 40, 40, <laughs> 40. <laughs> well, I know you just, I, you, we've talked about a lot of projects and you so, know, obviously. So yeah, there, uh, like there, there's times like, so like I know even like with like some of like the ski cam stuff, uh, I remember, you know, when the entire thing with, uh, Russia was still going down with like Ukraine that February. I remember, you know, staying up, you know, late nights and trying to get this model to run because you know, it would take hours on end for it to, because you're doing, so like with, with ski cam, uh, ski cam is an atmospheric chemistry model. And so you basically kind of give it some sort of like emission. And so you're basically kind of just trying to make it figure out, you know, 24 hours from now, what is, you know, the concentration of like some sort of, you know, aerosol. So let's say like SO2, NH3, PM 2.5 through time and, and space. And so, you know, like those, like the, the low resolution models, so like let's say 10 kilometers or five kilometer resolution images, but like, let's say that we wanted to do some sort of like high image resolution. So like, let's say like a hundred meters. And so like those runs would take forever because like at that time we hadn't set up uh a way to to do stuff on like the amazon web services and do stuff with like batch uh that's what i got to do with like the the mexican uh electrical generating units i set all that stuff up on batch because otherwise that was gonna just take me you know days on end just to do right. one yeah. simulate because like some of those simulations would take uh, like 48 hours or plus more to run so do you have to have a, a pretty beefy computer to run all this stuff or does it do it on so, like a cloud-based system? So, so it's all cloud-based. So like with Amazon, 
uh, you, you what you do is you basically send it through a batch, and so like you basically request services. So like, let's say so it's like a like a credit card batch where you're sending your end of day credit cards to the credit card company. But that's all I'm gonna. <laughs> when I hear batch. That's what I think it was a batch. So like the batch is like a, it's just. Like I want to submit like a whole bunch of jobs. So yeah. like let's so say a batch of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So like let's say January first through January thirty first. So like let's say I want to run one month of data, and instead of me going through run January first on like a Docker container or something like that and taking forever, I can submit all you know like thirty one jobs all at once, and these processors are just you know it gets you know like January first you know it gets its own processor, and so like you have to request. Uh, virtual CPUs. And so like with ski cam, it, it, it doesn't really matter because you can only run it on like a single thread. Mm-hmm. So you, there's no reason for you to be like really requesting like 72 instances or so. And try, but uh, if you were to do that, basically then you're basically just trying to make 72 uh, programs just running all in one single instances instead of just putting in like its own instance at one time. So with Amazon web services, is that something that your company has to pay for that service then? Yeah, correct. So like we pay. Cause you see it on like, like football. Yeah. Like, so, um, yeah. So like, you know, with like the NFL, like, yeah. Uh, let's say Jefferson had like a 3% chance to catch this. And so like, you know, at each, you know, individual time frame, you know, it's, it's gathering, you know, millions of points and it's doing, you know, predictive. And that's basically kind of, you know, like what the, like, is the service doing that? Do they, do they have to input all the data? Uh, it feeds it into like a program. So I like, kind of like SageMaker. Okay. That's what I was wondering. That's what I'm going to ask you. You see, a, you see AWS a lot with different things, not just football or what you're talking about. So do they have to get, so to work with you guys, do they have to get any kind of security clearance? Like are they, are they like government? So there's, there's two different certified? things. There. So there's, there's Amazon and then there's, there's, yeah, Amazon, which is AWS, and then there's AWS GovCloud. So like, so you have one. Yeah, okay. so they they do have one. So like, if you want to do anything like government related, <coughs> you gotta get you know a government Clarence, cloud one. Yeah. Hmm. But I I didn't have to do anything with that even with on off at Air Force Base. And I know I'm asking you questions that you probably you don't always know the answers to, because it, it just seems like a little bit of a security risk too, a little bit having it all be web based like that. You're putting in data. Uh, I'm not saying Amazon's you know, bad, but so with these, with these buckets, uh, you can basically kind of like encrypt them. So that way yeah. only certain people can access See the it, data. Yeah. And so like there's, there's headaches with that. And so like, let's say that I wanted to give you. This episode is brought to you by box drop Norfolk box drop Norfolk carries the best quality mattresses and furniture at the lowest price. They get truckloads of new overstock couches and mattresses at a great price and pass the savings on to you. They are a family-owned and operated business. Nate, Rebecca, and daughter Natalie keep their overheads low so they can price these all below retail. The mattresses and furniture are all new and come in limited quantities. Selection may vary. Message them on Facebook. Come check them out. Save some money. Mention you heard about them from this podcast episode. Drop the name Touching Base. Get an extra $30 off. Access to this bucket, then we have to kind of get clearance and then create a whole key for you and send it to you and basically get everything. So there's a lot of stuff behind it. So it's maybe not as easy as I thought in the first place. Hmm. Yeah, it, it's more of a, 
a company policy instead of like if I want because if I were to go and set up something on the S3 bucket and just not put any like protections on it mm-hmm. and it's just like an open bucket to the public you know the company would, could find it and be like yeah why is this you know not in compliance you know you need to fix you know all the different permissions that you have on this bucket so i'm sure you have a whole compliance department that checks on all that stuff yeah hmm. i know like um back when i worked at day coast and stuff i mean we had you know government things that we worked with there too and i mean is that mostly what you guys did was government contract stuff? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, to get some of the access and stuff to some of the websites that you needed, talking about like keys and things like that, like that makes me kind of twitch <laughs> a little bit because I mean, anytime you needed that, I mean, it was you. They always had to make sure, obviously, they weren't just giving access to anybody, so right. you had to supply your birth certificate, your if yep. you got married, your marriage license, and. Yep all these other things so that you could go through the whole gamut of everything and right. you could only access it with your key. And you guys were just moving stuff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yet no voter, right, but no voter ID for more voting. to it than I that. Know, but Are you cool with taking a quick pause? Yeah. Okay. All right, we're back. Had a, you know, I, I made it an hour and a half this time, not just an hour. It's making I'm getting progress. better. I'm making progress. Um, so you, you mentioned before we took break there that you had to get government clearance. Yep. Can you explain a little bit about why you had to get that and um, what, what kind of clearance you actually have? So I had to get, for me to be hired, because the initial work that I got hired on for was to bring, to bring high stuff, like top secret stuff down to like, you know, like a civilian level. But so like I technically only have like secret clearance. And so like you have to basically kind of fill out a form and you state on there, you know, like your full name, your your parents, your your wife, your kids, where you live for like the last 10 years, your jobs. And yeah, I think, you know, these things are good for like 10 years. So I think I got like another three years left on mine. And hopefully it just as easy as just like, getting it recertified and not having, cause like once you submit this, then like a, uh, I guess secret agent or like an FBI agent, like will contact you and will ask you, I basically just go through line by line of like everything that you answered. Yep. And like, you know, is your name really Chase Calkins? Did you really live at this address in Lincoln, Nebraska? And you basically say yes or no. And then did they know, hook you up to a polygraph when you're doing that or no, we, we, <laughs> we actually just went to just like a, a quiet room in like a public library down in Lincoln. And so that's where I nice. just did these questions. And so, you know, as she's reading them, uh, you know, the, there's like sometimes on there the where she'd be like, you know, did you have, have any like write-ups or did you have any, you know, like issues at work? And, you know, like, let's say like for like FedEx, Let's say I, I came in too late and I didn't disclose that and I technically had a write up for it. You know, that that would that should well, have you been have to say all your write ups. Yeah, you had to say like everything that you know like could be potentially used against you. Did you have to talk about Miss Henry's class too? No. <laughs> <laughs> I had to take a class twice. <laughs> oh yeah, so you go in there and be say as uh let's say that I didn't put on like let's let's not say I did. Let's say I I forgot to put on let's say on the sheet that says like oh I I didn't call in for work or I showed up late and so I got like a write up for it mm-hmm. and so like 
you know, she would ask me is like, you know, what, why didn't you disclose that on your fi- paper? It's like, well, cause I, I really don't think, you know, the government really cares if I arrive <laughs> like a half an hour late to FedEx in the morning. So I didn't really <laughs> consider that to be a, you know, I like got you know, a huge security concern, you know, right. hey, she's, she's in there writing her notes and saying, you know, like, you know, these are like you know, his statements and stuff yeah. like that. That's wild. Yeah, that is wild. I will, probably wouldn't have even have remembered that to even right. say, oh. Yeah, because there's like mm. there's like different levels of like, yeah, there's clearance, there's top secret, and I think there's even more about that. And so like, I think even like difference between like uh, secret and top secret, I think, you know, like the government, it's, I don't think it's doing like another form. I think it's just going through and just like a higher level of like, you know, digging into like this person. And so right. making sure you're. And so like, even with me having that, like I, I never, there's like, you know, top secret rooms that you get to go in on off at Air Force Base. And, you know, I, I never had to go inside of there and do anything. So I was, I was going to ask you, so just just secret clearance isn't going to let you get us the Epstein files? Oh, okay. <laughs> Dang. Darn it. So, yeah. So, like, so yeah, I was originally hired for uh, AER. And so I was part of uh, North of Grumman had what was called a Seams 3 contract. Yep. And so... You know, the government does these contracts with all these different companies and they want to do like science work. And so one of the areas was bringing like uh, a model from like the high side down to like the low side. And so when I first got started, like I, I didn't even know what AWS was. Like I look at AWS and I thought it was like, well, A might be like Amazon because like it was like 15 minutes before. I get this call. I was like, I started looking at like AWS. It's like, you know what AWS is? Like, well, I think like. 15 minutes ago, I didn't know what, you know, AWS stands for, but is it something to do with like Amazon? And, you know, then they fly me out to, you know, the head office there in Boston. And, you know, one of the guys was trying to teach me everything about like Amazon within like two days. And so then, because he's up on like the board disclosing everything with like with batch and writing all these different programs, you know, like at the end of the day, you know, they're like, hey, do you think you can go back home and do this? It's like... I, I don't even know what you guys did like the last two days. Like I, I don't know anything. Yeah. But you know, now that you get like into like a routine, you know, I've done this for, you know, how many years, you know, now, now it, it's real easy to kind of do. And now, you know, people come to me and ask me to basically kind of set up all their stuff to get all these, you know, different model runs running or so. Um, like uh, within your company or just, yeah, within my company. <clears throat> gotcha. But, uh, as far as like, yeah. So like, being hired on, so doing the stuff with uh, Northrop Grumman and doing the Seams contract here, there was a model that they want to bring from the high side, low side. I said, so you, we, they would run the model and then you would go through and figure out. It's like here, here's a point, and you want to basically kind of get the points around it. So it was like, is what you ran before the same as what you got? And they, they weren't. So I don't know what some of the different settings were, why they were different, and so. So then once everything got brought down, then you basically had to kind of, you make all the different images and, and say, you know, cause it, the, the model was, as it was a climatology and the government didn't want like a climatology record. They, they wanted something that was more robust. They wanted something that was like real time. And says so, so like for like an instance, so like, let's say what is like the aerosol optical death at, you know, six Z or so for a certain date at any location in the world. And so that's what, you know, this model would do and you, you get it for the, like, the entire world. And so like, that would be like the report for the day. And so, you know, they go off and do these different places and they say, it's like, okay, they hear, 
you know, here's how dirty the air is for like this day or something like that. And so with the, the real-time data, they were putting in the, it was the UK model, so the, the Galwim, and Northrop was in charge of doing all that. And so they basically got the contract that says, you know, we think that this real-time model would be a lot better than doing the climatology model. And so they had their own team try to set everything up. And, you know, you know, at the very end, you know, it was kind of disappointing because, you know, we didn't really get to kind of like see it through because uh, Seams 3 was kind of being let go. Uh, they got transferred over to a, a new company because like Northrop Grumman had won it for like the last how so many years. the contract years. got sold off. It's not that I got sold off that the the contract would expire. Expire, yeah. And so, so like, that's kind of what. So I, like the, yeah. the companies that like submitted for like you know, I think I think it's called Tads now, and so like Northrop put in for I think Raytheon put in for and I think SAIC put in for and SAIC won, and so basically they were trying to get everything done as soon as possible. And uh, the one girl that I went to school with, she was the one that was actually the one building the model and getting everything run. She couldn't get you know, the stuff to really run right. So like whatever data that they could get, you know, I, I got it and compared it against like, uh, let's say like Aeronet sites. And so like with those things, they're basically just basically little, uh, cylinders that are pointed towards the sun. And it basically kind of gauges how dirty the atmosphere is. Hmm. At, at, at any given point, what are you saying? So, so they're located like all over the place? It, it, it's, it's basically always pointing like at the sun. So right, it, but they in, can be located anywhere in the world. In the world, yes. Yeah, yeah. Um, when it, going back to the contracts, when they when they expire and somebody else takes them over, do you think that kind of doesn't halt the process? But do you think it makes the process longer to finish those? Like they they, they kind of like ask for like extensions sometimes, and mm-hmm. sometimes the government will give it. But like with my stuff, since. You know, I, I wasn't really part of Northrop. I was just a subcontractor. Through. Yes, I was going to say, you're just a subcontractor, yeah. Yeah, and so, like, my time there was basically kind of done. So, you know, they're they're rushing me to get, like, all my stuff done to basically present it to the government. And, you know, at the very end, I, I actually have no idea, like, if they presented the stuff to the government or not or how it turned out. So, basically, they did. so Northrop hired AER. Yeah. And then whoever took it over didn't. Well, no, like at that point, like that project was done. They, oh, the they, whole the, the whole project was done. was done. Oh, okay. And so I think SASC, you know, they they got the contract now, and you know, some of the rumors that I've been hearing around is like, you know, the government wasn't really too ha- isn't really too happy with them, and I, I think they're not doing a whole lot of science work with the SASC. I'm okay. I'm okay with bids for the government, but it's also it's like have you guys ever seen that movie with uh, Jonah Hill? I forget what it's called. It's Jonah Hill and um, it's selling ammunition to the government is basically what it is. I you know me and my movie. I know. Anyway, it's basically extension. they want to cut. They were like just these young kids that won a ammunition contract. And then they ended up buying stuff from like Russia and selling it repackaged. Oh, I haven't seen to the government. But that's what you run into when you get this contract-based stuff. You get these, not saying SCIC is bad, but, you know, anyway. Yeah, because I think, you know, since Northrop lost that, I think, you know, they, they basically poached a whole bunch of employees from Northrop to come over to of course SCIC. Because they, they were already, that's what, I'm, that's what I'm talking about as far as they lose um, traction when they when it switches like that from Northrop to SAC because... They're taking over a something that 
they had no idea what was going on with that. Yeah, so I, I don't know how long these contracts work. So like I think they one of the main reasons that even the con that they even chose it, I'm not one hundred percent sure if this is even truthful, but like, you know, Northrop had won it for so many years, I think yeah, what that's usually how it goes, yeah. The government didn't want to basically play you know, have a monopoly on Northrop, so they basically kind of let somebody else have it. That's right. that's what I think. You know, that's kind how of it goes. In that but, then, but then I think we're still. I think we're still paying. Like the like the government's paying more to have that done because then it has to go longer because somebody else is taking over a project that they didn't yeah. start. I guess is what I'm saying. But yeah. So uh, yeah, they <clears throat> they they basically kind of think of like all these different projects to kind of do, and you know, they kind of submit it to like the government and say, you know, mm-hmm. here's here's the things that we want to study. That's crazy. So let's get into the the because that that was a government one, right? This was a, a co-op with the, the government. With the, so it was it's basically called it was a CRADA. So it's Cooperative Research. I don't know what the rest of it stands for. That's okay. That's <laughs> I okay. just I just know it was a cooperative research, but it wasn't you know really cooperative in the end. <laughs> okay, <laughs> but anyway, it's a, it's a turbulent study. Yeah, so what this study does, uh, so what I use, uh, uh, surprisingly, I used Amazon again. Uh, this time I used a SageMaker. And so what we wanted to basically kind of figure out was, you know, can I take airplane data and wherever the airplane is flying, you know, get the, the readings from the aircraft and then put them inside of like a model. So like, let's say, you know, those temperature affected or relative humidity, you know, wind, Elevation. Elevation, you know, the way of the plane. And so you feed it all into like a model. Were and they were they trying to predict turbulence here? Is that what they were trying to do? Yeah. So like as so like let's say given these parameters, yeah. uh you know, it could possibly be, you know, turbulence at for like, let's say the aircraft weighs oh I have to go through here. It's okay. I remember so seeing like, it. So like for like this study, we we did like a medium aircraft, and you know they say medium aircraft. So like a like a seven thirty seven. So it's somewhere between you know, like fifteen thousand pounds and three hundred thousand pounds. Yep. And so you know we give ourselves like a threshold of like like forty four. And so you basically kind of put these things into the model, and so like the aircraft kind of it it it. So with this one, it it. You have like the the eddy dissipation rate, and so you you calculate the the turbulence at a given point at at each point in the atmosphere, and you're basically kind of saying like, okay, the aircraft is flying through, you know, this type of atmosphere. Mm-hmm. You know, is it you know, is it like a null set? And could there be light turbulence meeting? And so like you basically kind of want it to say, you know, it's either. Either there's two different ways to do it. It's either A or A or B. So when in that case it's like a binary. So it's either yes or no. Right. And so uh, in the simple case, that's that's how you kind of start off with as is you know binary. And so yes or no. And so you kind of do like a it's called like a confusion matrix. And so with that, you're basically kind of saying like here's like a true positive, so like a hit, and like a false positive, mm-hmm. or you know, a true negative, you know, there was no turbulence there at that point. And so you're basically trying to gauge how the model is looking and scoring these things and saying, you know, is the model doing good or not? And so once you get this, you know, initial result, then you basically hyper tune it is what the, the phrasing is. And you put all these different parameters and so you branch it off 
and let's say I want six different branches and so many different weights and the computer will just pick, you know, like random numbers mm-hmm. and it goes through and, and then it will score. And then it'll say, here's like the best case scenario. And then you model that and say, it's like, okay, so here's where we were initially that I had programmed and what the model thought, here's what it would actually be. And then you kind of compare the two and saying, you know, is the model working or is it not working? And obviously this was for turbulence. Do you know what the the reason to do this study was for? Like what were they? I think the end result was for clouds. Like they for just, clouds? Yeah, because I think, you know. Was, to avoid certain clouds or just no, to. I think kind of like replacing clouds, like, you know, you know, should clouds be here? Clouds shouldn't be here. I think that was the main goal, but but I'm not entirely sure about that. I think, you know, this might. Placing, like, what do you mean? Clouds should, like. Because, hey, uh, you know, when you have satellites, yeah. there's like a corrective term. So like it, like where you know that, you know, something is supposed to be here and it's not. And so you have oh, to like go on the satellite image. Yeah. Oh. You get a conspiracy theorists like me. I'm like, what do you mean clouds <laughs> are supposed to be here and not supposed to be here? Wait, we're placing clouds. clouds now? Oh, you're good. You're good. Yeah. So um, like, because like, so it wasn't actually an airline study. It was more still a weather-based. Yeah. It, it was, it's weather-based because it's, it's still using, you know, this one, instead of like ERA-5, it's using the ERA-I data set, which is now obsolete. And so you're basically just getting, you know, parameters from that. And so you're you're getting, you know, different stuff, you know, temperature, dew point, mm-hmm. different calculations, divergence, convergence, and you're basically just throwing all this stuff in a model and saying, you know, what are, you know, you know, important parameters for it. So this wasn't actually based to try to predict turbulence. It was more just to study clouds. No, 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 this one was for turbulence. Oh, okay. That's what I mean. That's what I mean. But I think the overall goal was basically saying is like, you know, since we can do this with, you know, turbulence, can we apply it towards other areas? That's what I'm, it's okay. So the, the, the whole basis of this was to, try to predict what weather patterns we're going to have turbulence. Mm. Okay. That's what I was sorry. Maybe my question wasn't very good. <laughs> sorry about that. That's, that's pretty common. I'm like my questions. Yeah. Oh I'm, my I'm, I'm kidding though. Um, okay. Is there anything else you want to talk about on the turbulence one? Mm, I don't think so. Not unless you want to talk about, you know, any of the, any of the different graphs. Um, so when it comes to like, you actually go to board a flight, and they say, "Oh, we could run into some turbulence on this one." So, it's literally, it's because of this study, kind so, of. So there, there technically already is like a turbulence kind of a product out there. So like I know with like the National Weather Service, they mm-hmm. issue these things. They're called like TAFs. I think it's Terminal Air Report or something like that. And so like these TAFs go out to the different towers, and they're basically saying it's like here it tells the pilots where there's basically going to be like turbulence and stuff like that. So they tell them to avoid like those areas or like lay low or fly higher than what they're supposed to be. We're going to detour out of the the path a little bit just to avoid some of that. Can you explain this, this one a little bit, I guess, computed the human identified 
So is that like human identified turbulence? So, so, so like if if you were to look at this this graph, you would you that's what this uh, you, know, you people can't see it. There's a green line on there that says like human identified, and you can kind of see you know you know go through the middle, and you basically say like you know that's that's the mean of that. And so like the two computer generated ones, like those would be two different models of like with the mo- the the SageMaker the model training and everything was saying is like oh it could be you know as one feature kind of influence it more than, or another. So what are the purple boxes? Uh, that would actually be grid points. So like that would be the real life data. Okay. okay. And so like when you're doing this, um, <coughs> the way that you kind of do it, I didn't really explain it that way. That great to begin with is, you know, let's say that you have, you know, like a million data points. Mm-hmm. You, you need to train the model. So you, you basically kind of split up, let's say, around 70% of the data. So you're taking 700,000 points and you're training this model to basically identify, you know, uh, not anomalies, but like similar, you know, Mm -hmm. patterns. Right. And then, so then what you then do is you need to validate the model and you take basically kind of like another 15% of that data set. And then, so whatever the computer thought and you, you validate against that, and then there's a, yeah, so, because what, there's the training, the validation, and, oh, the testing, that's right. Yeah, you got to test it. Yeah, so, yeah. So, yeah, it's training, testing, and validation. Okay. I, forgot, I forgot the. Because you got to train, the, you got to train the model to do what you want it to do. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, that's what I was kind of wondering. It's really cool stuff. I mean, obviously, I'm not um, versed enough to be able to to read some of this stuff, but yeah. So like, all that stuff is in Python there. Oh, is it? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So yeah, that that'd be like Python code that you know says like here's like some of the different parameters and the code that was going into it. A lot of if then statement kind of stuff. Yeah, and so like there, so like uh, if you were to go to like the next slide, so like uh, up up the, or down. 14, I think it is. Yeah, that one. So this is, you're starting up the instance. Uh, you're finding your bucket that you're putting it in. Uh, you, you need to have some sort of like hardware. And so like this one is, when it means like hardware is uh, like the instance type. And it's like, how fast is the model going to do it? Mm-hmm. And so like then here you got your different hyperparameters. So like your max depth. Uh, your gamma, your child weights, uh, your objectives. And so this one was doing binary logistics uh, and how you're evaluating it is is called AUC, which stands for area under the curve. And so you're basically trying to gauge, you know, how well or how right it is. So and you had to input all this information? Mm-hmm. Hmm. Smart guy. I don't even know what I'm looking at. But. That's weird. I do. Do you? No. Oh. Are you kidding me? It's really cool, though. I mean, that, it that, is. Yeah. And just some of the different. Obviously, the the once we have video, we might go back through some of these and whatever we can show, we'll do it again in a more in depth if you want to. Yeah, that's fine. That way we can show them. I don't, I don't want to keep talking about graphs when we can't show them to anybody. Yeah. Um. This is really really cool stuff though on this one. Um. Do you want to get into hail climatology then? Yeah, so then uh, after that, then I kind of started doing 
the worst stuff and doing like a hail comatology. And so with that, you're basically kind of going out and getting more of that ERA five or ERA I data sets and you put it into this model and you give the wharf model certain parameters to basically say, you know, you want the storm to be uh, convective. And so, you know, the, the reason why we're basically kind of doing this hail comatology to begin, to begin with, uh, I think I said earlier in the show was basically uh, to avoid uh, population bias. So, you know, as I said, that basically kind of says, you know, here in Norfolk, someone can go out and report and say that there was hail. But if I, you know, you go down the road, go down 275, you know, down and you see hail, you know, there's no one at that point reporting hail. Right. And so it's basically, you know, did the bear shit in the woods or not? Well, it's great. Yeah, it's crazy because even like <laughs> South Town could have hail and West, you know, the West, Northwest side of town wouldn't have it. Is that where you can't, you know? Yeah. So, and so you're basically kind of just uh, trying to get rid of like the population biases. That's, that's the entire point of this. And so with this, you're saying like given a certain, you know, like time frame. So like this study was from April, May, and June, and you put this through the mall for, you know, those 90 days. And so we basically created these grid boxes. Uh, these were one by one degree red grid boxes and you basically kind of count up and say like for on average between you know for like three years you know what is the average you know hail days that fall in april and so like you can kind of see how you know in these images you can see you know how the storms are changing compared to uh the type of season so like in april it starts down in the southeast and, you know, here we go in May, it's, it's shifting more towards west, towards Texas, and going up north towards Nebraska. In June, it's kind of, you know, centralized over Nebraska at that point. So then, you know, the entire point then is, like, how do you like verify that they're, that it's really hailing? You know, because then I, I, I can go out, and so I can go out, and let, let's say you, since you're selling, like, crop insurance and stuff like that. Yeah. So you let's say that I were to basically sell this to you and you buy it from me. And I say, Oh, here, here's this one by one grid box for this area. And you know, you're charging farmer John X amount of dollars and it's, you know, hey, it hails on average like three days in there and farmer uh, Joe down the road, let's say another, you know, couple degrees, it, it, it hails more, but you're charging them both the same. But now here you have some sort of like evidence or at least some sort of like idea that, you know, with this model that says, you know, you know, given these findings, you know, maybe I should charge, you know, farmer, you know, B, you know, more for, you know, let's say crop insurance than, you know, farmer A. Right. Which makes sense. Um, are actuaries actually using this? I don't know about actuaries. I know we, I know, I think we did have like one sale, but I don't think it was for like hail. I think <laughs> we sold it for like wind. I think because when we were doing it, it was, they wanted to figure out different plots on like, let's say like an ocean. Uh, what is like the return on product or like what is the return on vi- and return on investment for like, let's say, uh, wind turbine on the ocean at point A, you know, compared so to point wind, B. wind turbines, though. Yeah. 
Okay. Interesting. Uh, so, so is there, obviously, is there other companies like you out there that do this kind of stuff? I mean, make, okay. there might be like insurance people. Cause I know like insurance, like even the ones here, this one, like Varus has their own. That do uh, these studies. That not, not do these studies, but like, uh, they're truth data sets, I guess is what we would call it. Since that's kind of like how you gauge how well the model is doing. So like, you know, like freely available kind of like data would be like the MRMS mesh data. And so like you can go out and basically kind of see, you know, what was like the hail size at a certain time compared to like, you know, like Varus's where you would have to pay for it and like their own hail data set that has like a whole different like configuration Mm-hmm. Like how they measure like how hail had been done. Gotcha. And so like that's kind of like how we were comparing like different types of data sets. So like this one was like mesh versus like the virus respond and, and saying like how far out of whack or how much align uh, the models were for these for these data sets. So like if we were to basically kind of like let's say so like let's let's say now I have this evidence. I have this truth data set. So now. I, the time comes to kind of show you like how reliable is my data set. And so, you know, instead of me just like coming off the road and like, Hey, here's my study that I did for like hail. And here's like the data now that I had to back up. So like, I can say like in this one by one degree grid box against like like a truth data set, you know, I I could say I'm the model might be overestimating, you know, like one or two days or it's really underestimating one or two days. Uh, Like I even remember, just a couple of weeks ago, I think uh, BAMS had just put out, like it was just like a recent study for uh, severe weather. Like I think uh, over central, like the Midwest, like Nebraska specifically, mm-hmm. like they're seeing like one less thunderstorm per year. And so like you, like for like farmers and, you know, that's basically, like, you know, free water for the crops. And, right. and you know, that, that's now moving towards like the Southeast, you know, the Southeast is getting like, two more thunderstorms per uh, season compared to like, you know, Nebraska. So obviously weather patterns are changing. Yeah. The weather patterns are changing towards, you know, it's not really becoming, you know, in school you're, you're taught, you know, tornado alley is, you know, Texas through Nebraska. And and really now it's kind of just, you know, shifting maybe more towards like the Southeast. I was going to say it's kind of shifting. We don't get too many around here anymore. Do we? Yeah, I think actually last year, I think Stanton had a couple of tornadoes. I think yeah. Northwest Nebraska, I think they had a tornado. I think because uh, yeah, because even in my time at the National Weather Service, I forgot to even include this. Uh, you know, after that tornado event went through, mm-hmm. you, you had to go out and so like how they determine uh, like the the strength of the tornado. So like how how do you scale it on a scale from you know the EF zero to like an EF five? And so like they have a little program on there that goes through and say, you know, like, oh, the barn was blown over and you know, they put it inside a program and it, it rates it and, and then you are and at that point you're you're also kind of tracking the storms like, you know, you're going out there on these these roads and, and this marked vehicle I think that says, you know, survey and you're kind of trying to figure out, you know, like where did it really start, you know, here at point A in like the middle of a cornfield or something like that. And you're tracking it through, you the know, progression. Yeah. 
And so you'll occasionally see those like on the National Weather Service sites uh, on Facebook occasionally. You know, it started at, you know, point A. And at this point where they got some sort of data that says it might have been like an EF1 intensity and, you know, sometime down the road is like an EF2 intensity. And so then they're also saying like, how long was the storm or how wide was the storm? And so, yeah, I got to do that a couple of times for that. So that can't really be predicted by radar? So the the radar can't like predict, you know, if it's going to be like an EF zero or an EF five. So that's always an after. So yeah, that's kind of like an after kind of thing. So like the radar can, it it. So it's always a potential thing. It so, so like, we're still not to a point where radar is really going to. So it when the National Weather Service like kind of gets like these products, it, they'll say like there's radar indicated tornado rotation and so like when you're looking at that you're kind of looking for like these they're called gates and so you're basically looking for like where where two different colors so like uh the app that i use and what a lot of weather people use it's called a radar scope and so like you look at like the the velocity and so you basically see what the wind is going towards the station and what's going away and so like if you're seeing like these greens and reds you know starting to like curve or hook you know you can kind of say that there's you know rotation there and so they they monitor that area fairly well and so then they'll you know they'll put out a, like a tornado warning and say mm-hmm. it's like okay there's radar indication that there there could be a tornado on the ground but you know now that you know the radars uh, have been upgraded uh, I don't know how many years ago, I think maybe at least 10, they're now dual pole. And so like you get like, correlation coefficients. And so like you're looking at that stuff. And so basically how uniform, like with the correlation coefficient is how uniform is the atmosphere? Is the atmosphere all, you know, clear? Is it, you know, all rain right. or do you see debris? And so like, uh, you can see like, you know, you can technically see tornadoes on the ground with the radar uh so like if you get like a a low correlation coefficient you can basically say is like more than likely there is a tornado on the ground here i can't you can't really say that you know it's an ef you know zero through five so like with these ones that have happened in like let's say like tennessee and florida recently in the last six months florida just had one i think a decent sized tornado and then tennessee had the one outside of Nashville not that long ago are those spots not being looked at as closely as like tornado alley because I know there was there was not a lot of um warning for those it's not so much uh, a lot of warning you know when so like SBC they always put out like a like a day one risk and so like you know even if you were to go on to your internet here and go to like I think it's like spc.outlook.gov or something like that it'll go and say, here's like the day one risk. And so like for like any inside this area, let's say it's like 10% chance of like tornadoes within like 25 miles of this line or something like that. And so, you know, the people down there in Norman, Oklahoma, they'll go and say, they basically say they'll put, they are the ones that like storm prediction center, they'll, they're the one that put out like the, the tornado watches. Now the in national, Oklahoma. yeah. And so they, they basically, put in like a heightened alert for like these stations to be like ready for the and, whole nation. Well, yeah. So like, uh, I mean, you're not getting it like really tornadoes and like, 
like let's say Alaska or, right. or Hawaii and stuff like that. But like, yeah, they basically say, like, given this region, you know, you're more than likely have like a, a chance of like tornadoes or so. Hmm. And so like with the National Weather Service, um, you know, usually it's like a team of like two to four people, but like in like a severe weather event, uh, you can have, you know, you need like two or three people that are, you know, still doing like daily operations that are not focusing on the storm. And they have like other people that come in that are on rotations and doing the storm work that are actually tracking all these individual uh, storm systems. Okay. And so, uh, you know, they're looking at different angles of the atmosphere and seeing if it's actually doing it. And so, you know, they basically go out. And so like, let's say like the weather event that I was working on, uh, they they say I'm going to put out a weather a tornado warning for this area, and so she she makes the little program and she highlights the box and say you know this polygon is you know going to be tornado warned and then they basically relay that to the emergency managers and then the emergency managers I think you know basically kick on the sirens and everything like that. Gotcha. Okay. I didn't realize it was all from one spot. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, they do that all down there, but like I know. Like the National Weather says they'll they'll put out like a a warn uh like a message to like people that are like uh spotter trained. Mm-hmm. Uh so let's say that somebody is stationed at some random mm-hmm. point in, in Norfolk to like kinda like watch the skies and so and then that person can call into like the National Weather Service and say, you know, my name is you know, Chase Coggins, I'm at, you know, this latitude longitude I confirm that there is a tornado on the ground so like let's say that the the radar didn't indicate that there was rotation but now that i have visual confirmation uh, confirmation of it then you can call in and then they put that right away so then that might be you know kind of like a short lead time but you know Hmm. more than more than likely with any type of storm there's always someone monitoring it Hmm. i guess i i I don't want to sound bad but it almost sounds like technology just hasn't caught up with weather yet a little bit well, I mean, I mean, you kind of, you think about like where it was, you know, like, let's say like 50 years ago where, you know, you didn't really kind of like have like anything. This, yeah. And then now, you know, to the present. And so, I mean, let's say that the tornado, what, what, what is the first thing that you do? Like when a tornado siren goes out around here? Yeah. I like, go out and look outside. Yeah. That, that is, <laughs> you know, that is the number one answer that, that you get is like, why are the sirens going off? It's like, yeah, cause you know that it, that's bad weather. And it's right. like, let me go outside and see if there's an actual tornado on the ground. You know, uh, you know, that's not really, you know, the smart thing to do. No. And yeah, you're, you're supposed to go into like the basement, stay away right. from windows. Right. And, that's no fun. <laughs> um, so outside the, the hail study is really cool. Uh, that's that's the one I can actually kind of read and actually make sense of out of the ones you sent me. Right. So like even like the images that I have here. So like uh, so there's two different images that you know you guys can't see. There's there's the model data which is which is called Hailcast and and so it's and so like for this event it was May eighth of two thousand seventeen. Uh, for those that don't know. This was over Denver, Colorado. It was like a $2.3 billion hail event. And so it basically kind of just like crippled, you know, like the insurance there is like, yeah. you know, because they had to pay like all that stuff. And so yeah. like if you look at like the hail cast and so like where Denver's at, it's at, you know, around, you know, 40 north and 
105 West. So like if you're looking at like that little cross section there, you know, you're not really seeing hail around there. You're, you might, it's, it's estimating like right now, like a, a hail size of, you know, 0.5. But then if you go to like the, the actual real the truth data set, you can actually see, you know, that blob over Denver, you know, that's saying, you know, here it is, at, you know, greater than one inch. And I'm assuming, you know, there's a bunch of points on there that's saying that it's greater than two inches. I didn't include that image, but like, you know, that that's the thing with like these models is that, you know, since it, like in this spot, you know, Denver's kind of right next to the, the mountain range, mm-hmm. the model in like this case, you know, it didn't do very well. And so like that was what kind of like we what we were finding is like, you know, the model was doing kind of like poorly against, you know, mountainous regions. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But the model would have predicted this happening. Well, the MRMS is the the truth data set. Well, truth data set. Yeah. So the model didn't predict it at all. It, it didn't nope. it didn't classify that individual like area gotcha. as okay. being I had them backwards, I'm sorry. And so but like, <clears throat> if you were to look inside like like the grid box overall, uh, if you go inside there and so like what we would say is that even though that we missed it at like Denver, that grid box still estimated it as being like one inch. So in, right. in theory that, you know, that the model at that point got it correct. It right. just didn't get like the location as, you know, accurately. As significant as it was going to be. Hmm. And you, and you can downscale these to be even like a finer mm-hmm. resolution. It is just, you know, a lot more money to kind of like get more points. Right. And, then you can, uh, another thing that you can do is you can do nested simulations with these war. So like this one is basically kind of like over CONUS. So basically all of like North America. So like, let's say like if I wanted to do kind of like a study, you can run like nested simulations. So I got like a D2 as what it's called, the domain two, and you run the simulations. And so it, let's say we wanted to highlight over Colorado mm-hmm. and then you might get like a better, feel so like you would basically take those initial boundary conditions and then you kind of like downscale it to be your initial conditions for like d2 and it does a bunch of uh calculations and it gets you know you know so hopefully it gets better but right. we didn't get to do to do any of that because it takes a lot of you know time and money to kind of do like nested simulations right very interesting stuff though Super cool. Do you have any upcoming projects that you want to shout out that we can talk about at another point in time? <laughs> I mean, I mean, I'm I'm usually always doing some sort of like hail work with Becky. Yep. And so I'm assuming we'll be doing the the South America hail stuff for. So still doing that. Yep. We'll still do that through this year, and probably I'm assuming put out a paper sometime next year. Any new projects? Uh. New projects. I'm trying to think of my workload this year. I know I'm doing some cloud set stuff with another person. And I know there's supposed to be another company. Um, oh, another one is so another model that I use is it's called CMAC. So it's like a community model. And what we're kind of doing right now is we're trying to get stuff for we're evaluating these chemicals they're called PFAS so they're uh, per and polyfluoral alkaline uh, substances that's what the PFAS stands for and so 
uh, PFAS has basically kind of been known for like 30 years. Uh, a more common term is they're called forever chemicals. So like, let's say your, your fire retardants, or let's say your, your nonstick coating sprays, like stuff kind of like that. So like okay, man-made, your man-made chemicals. And yeah. so like, they don't break down easily. And so they, they get into like the water stream. They're, you know, more than likely me, you, uh, you as well, uh, you more than likely have, you know, these PFAS chemicals inside your body. Cause you know, you, yeah, as you're saying, you're, you're cooking with them mm. and it gets inside your bloodstream. Uh, there is some sort of like health effects such as like cholesterol. Uh, there could be some sort of like low, uh, birth weight in, and women for like their children. Uh, I think there was some thyroid issues and I think, I don't think there was diabetes. I forget. I was looking at it the other day, but I know there, there was that study, but you know, we're still kind of waiting on that. Uh, otherwise there's that study. We don't even know how that's going to turn out. I, it was just kind of like a call and kind of like model and seeing how, you know, how these PFAS chemicals, you know, are in the, the airway and how it uh, gets into like the waterways. Once you do that one, I want to get you back on. <laughs> that one is very interesting to me, actually. It's it's definitely different from what we've been talking about tonight. Yeah. So, I always wondered what if you know just different atmospherical things like that, like human made, would cause like that. Yeah, outside I, of you know I, emissions. Assuming yeah. I can I can talk about that one. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's some you can't talk about. Well, I'm assuming right now that we we will get to, but I guess if yeah, you sorry. can't, you can't. Yeah. yeah. I don't really know anything about it. Like, right. give, it's basically is like I've compiled the model, and that's basically as far as we've gotten with it. Right, yeah. right. So um, we'll move to a, a little political and kind of wrap up the show for this time, if that's right with you. Uh, sure. Otherwise, I know, do you want? I know uh, the other thing that I got here. Uh, I'll actually be going into Baltimore at the the end of January to the AMS conference. And I'll be presenting, you know, sources for like uh, dust in Texas. Oh, okay. And so, I kind of forgot about that one. I'm sorry, I didn't mean to skip it. <laughs> uh, that's fine. I'm sure we could have come. Like, there's, you know, I don't know how many different researches things that I've so done. Dust in Texas. Yeah. So dust in Texas is so you're basically kind of like identifying like sources, and so like this one we were like contracted through like TCQ, and we went through like TCQ has different like subdivisions. And so, like, we focus on some of, like, the larger ones, like El Paso, Houston, Austin. And the way that we kind of uh, did this and say, like, let's say that this uh, point in time is anomalous, is uh, we use this thing called an isolation forest. And so what you're basically kind of doing is you have all this, all these data points together, and you're basically trying to create all these different lines and saying, like, how, how many lines can I create before I say, like, this individual point it is anomalous or not. Mm-hmm. And you're, so you're basically kind of just like grouping these things into like uh, different uh, boxes as like the easiest terms. And so then you can basically kind of go through there and identify as if it's kind of like a localized event, if it's going to be like a regional event, such as like a smoke or a multi-regional event. And so like, you know, so like a, uh, let's say like a local. So like, let's say that there's some like truck or something like that is idling next to like a sensor or something like that. And it's causing, you know, at that one single point that the, you got like a high point. And so you, 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 you got that in there. You got the, the multi-regional, let's say that, uh, 
this PM 2.5 was, you know, high for the entire state for like a single day. And, you know, on this certain day, which was January 1st, you know, it was, you know, the entire state of Texas was just like out of compliance. And, you know, we, after, you know, my other person, Archana, she gave this talk and she's like, oh yeah, you know, January 1st, it was, you know, a new year. So you have all the fireworks and, you know, we, you know, there's sometimes, you know, that we don't put two and two together. It's like, oh, you know, you know, the fireworks were causing that. And so, you know, maybe that one point or so should have been like thrown out. So otherwise you can then, you know, given these points, you know, they have like a species to it. And so you can kind of identify what the species is like, is it, you know, is it coming, like I said, from a car, is it coming from other sort of like emissions? Was that for like dust storms or just, or just bad, uh, atmospheric? It's just bad atmospheric. So like, let's say, you know, this monitor is saying, you know, at this given time, you know, it, it's breaking like the 24 hour or eight hour threshold or something like that. Is Texas like worse than other places or is it? Oh, well, I think they kind of take it more seriously maybe than like other people. Hmm. Like I know, so like even like El Paso is like a huge one, even with like uh, ozone and stuff like that. I think, I think they, the ozone, I think might be lowered or something like that. And so like, I think they're trying to get like ahead and try to make sure that, you know, where are these emissions coming from? Trying to figure out where it's all coming from. Yeah. So like, you know, like another study that I was doing, you know, with the Mexican electrical generating units, you know, we were finding that, you know, the reason why the ozone was so high is because, you know, Mexico had some sort of, you know, like coal plants or natural gas plants. And, you know, the emissions from that was carrying over from the wind and getting over, you know, El Paso. And so, you know, they need to say, you know, the, you know, the reason why we're breaking this is because, you know, it's not our fault because like the city, it's, you know, it's coming from somewhere else. So like, it, it kind of like, you know, you, we get these like wildfire, uh, fires from Kansas, yep. you know, you, you know, you, you, you see the hazy skies up here in Norfolk, you know, for days on end. Hmm. That's crazy. That's another good one. That's a, cause that can, so that goes back to almost a little bit of like the, regulations you want you, every area needs to be in a certain like yeah it needs to be within like a compliance otherwise i think they can get like fined but we're but the united states is still one of those we're still one of the lowest in emissions aren't we uh i know we've been like trending you know like downwards and like trend in emissions uh isn't like china and, and india like the two highest and I, I know they produce <laughs> like a lot i know like like in my master's research, you know, China has this thing called the five-year plan and they basically try to say, you know, we are going to like limit ourselves or, and say like we want to set up like a threshold of mm-hmm. like a certain value and not try to like exceed it. So like they're trying to like lower it, but you know, and then it, it, it kind of gets into like, are they being, you know, truthful in like the reporting? And so that's right. kind of like where you get like the ground. Mm-hmm. and satellite observations and saying, you know, are these really emissions are being truthful or not? Right. Can you, like, I guess you'd probably have to get paid to do it, but can you see that kind of stuff over there just from the satellite images, or is that something you have to, like, have sensors on the ground for? Uh, I mean, that's what, you know, like, my master's research was. Uh, it was using, like, the OMI uh, mm-hmm. sensor and seeing, you know, you know, given certain, like, that one was seeing it. Uh, weather conditions, how it was playing with sulfur dioxide and 
stagnant cases. And so you basically see, you know, areas where the wind speed was lower than than typical or higher temperatures. You know, you're you're basically getting that stagnant air and so mm-hmm. all it's not being blown out of the area. And so it's just sitting there and it's just causing, you know, SO2 to, you know, collect over the area for a certain amount of time. So we can't really tell if they're lying is what I'm getting at. I mean, with the sensors, I mean, you, there's, there's the sensors that say, you know, like what it is, but as far as, you know, that the sensors are, uh, stating like a different like unit, but mm. like a saying, like, let's say that they want to only emit, like, let's say like 31 teragrams or something like that. You have to basically kind of like do some like backwards modeling through like all these different sensors to kind of see if it's actually being done or not. Got you. Okay. That makes sense. That's really cool stuff though. You do, you do some crazy, crazy things. <laughs> it's, it's kind of funny to think. You know, like I had, we talked earlier about the different businesses and stuff around town, but I don't necessarily always know what kind of remote options there are out there, but this is something that's just kind of cool that somebody in Norfolk's doing all this, all these projects about stuff that affect everyday lives, you know, whether or not we get hail and, you know, all this kind of stuff. It's It's pretty cool. Um, so yeah, political, we're going to get there. <laughs> I know you didn't, you want to avoid this. <laughs> I'll make them fast and easy. Everybody, everybody gets these, uh, with an election year coming up, how do you feel about where the state of our country is right now? And do you feel that we are being well represented at the federal and state levels? I guess. You can answer it any way you want. You don't have to make it elaborate. Uh, I, even though you, you still like prepared me, and you know, I've been talking all this time, <laughs> and you still don't like really have some sort of like good answer. No, it doesn't have to be a good answer. Just whatever you're feeling it doesn't have to be. No, nobody's gonna come back at you on this, so they won't. Hmm. I mean, I mean. What I mean, the government did kind of technically give us all these different infrastructure. I mean, I know, I mean, even here in like Norfolk, Nebraska, you know, you're talking about like infrastructure, let's say like roads or some sort mm-hmm. of like internet kind of thing. You know, we were just like, it, it took forever to get, you know, Benjamin kind of fixed up. Right. And so, you know, there's always like a need to like fix the infrastructure. So like that, that's, that's the one thing with like politics. The politics is always about like now it, it, it's never looking into like the future down the line. Right. Uh, and so it's, it's with the people, it's always like, what can you do for me now? It's, it's not looking out, you know, down the road. And so, that, and so like when people are always like complaining, let's say like, let's say gas oil prices or, um, you know that that's kind of like a kind of like a, kind of like a now kind of issue. Yeah. You know they're not thinking of like how far down the line to like really do it because like you know everyone's saying it's like oh Joe Biden like open up all the drilling get 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 all the American oil and just put it into us like why why buy from other people and so you, know, you you try to be just kind of like strategic in like how you plan everything 
And so like, you know, more than likely everything just kind of like works out in the end. It's just always like people are just upset in like the now because like the way that me and you would like kind of like run something like, you know, like with me, it, it's always, you know, you're, you're thinking like down the line. Right. And so I think like overall, I think maybe Nebraska probably doesn't get like a whole lot, you know, pay because, you know, it's the middle of the country. You know, people aren't really, you know, thinking that we have, you know, still cars or anything like that. We still got, you know, like the horse Indoor and buggies. plumbing. Yeah. And yeah. so. We do have running water. We do. But do you feel, do you feel like your vote counts? Uh, I, I think. Probably not. I would say, you know, because. You know, I mean, at least Nebraska, you know, like Omaha and Lincoln, you know, those people are, you know, geared, more geared towards, uh, you know, Democratic. But mm-hmm. then, you know, each legislative session, you know, you know, the Republicans lost. And let's say, let's let's figure out how we can get more votes into that and make it more competitive. And so the the way that, you know, everything should be done. It shouldn't be done through like legislative and say, you know, here, here are the, the areas that I want to be in. Like there's different studies where you, there's mathematical equations that say, you know, here is the best representation. So like, let's, instead of making, you know, like all of like Western Nebraska is, you know, it takes up because what there's three districts in Nebraska, right? There's district one, two. Yep. And so, so like, you know, to get like an equal equal representation, uh, it's basically all of like like Western Nebraska basically is making up for you know District One or District right. Two and all that stuff, and so so like in that kind of instance, you know, it's kind of like hard to do some sort of like uh, equal representation, and so like if it was actually kind of like split evenly to like to make things more competitive, I think. Uh, more people would go out because I mean, let's say you know there's more Democratic people in Western Nebraska than what are kind of led to be on. You know, th- those people are more than likely not going to go out and vote and like waste their time because you know it that that county is more heavily towards like a Republican or so. But you know, let, let's say like closer races like Lincoln, surrounding areas, uh, uh, making it more competitive and saying instead of saying like. Lincoln can be all uh, democratic. Let's get, you know, some sort of district in there where it's, you know, nice and equal. That way it's some sort of close race instead of being, you know, dominated by one party more than another. So you're saying in some of those areas, let's say Western Nebraska, you think Democrats aren't voting and you think in like in Lincoln and Omaha, the Republicans maybe are thinking like, hey, I'm going to lose. Why even vote? Yeah. Is that kind of what you're getting at? That's kind of like my kind of like thinking, like, you know, there's... Uh, that, you know, well, we can't have people giving up though either, you know, I know, you know, we always everybody's got to get out there and vote. Yeah. You, know, you always say like every single vote counts, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, you know, let's say that, you know, what the last, how many, uh, presidential elections, the popular vote has always gone to the democratic and, you know, but you know, the Republicans have won how many times, mm-hmm. it, but then, so, like, those votes in, like, let's say, California, where it's more Democratic. And, and so, like, like you kind of 
wonder, you know, it's kind of like the, the pizza kind of things like, Hey, what do you want to eat? You want a pepperoni? You, you want a pepperoni, but I want a cheese. Oh, I, I have ruling favor. So it, it's going to be cheese. And so that's like kind of like my kind of thing. Like I know like why, you know, each state gets kind of, you know, represented the way they do, but you know, if they really say, you know, you know, it's like one nation that wants to be united and say like each and every single person go out and vote that, you know, then at that point, you know, then w- the popular vote kind of, you know, kind of makes a difference. Cause I mean, even like in like a local election, you know, the popular person that got the most votes, you know, they went at that level, but it's like a federal level. Then it kind of goes towards. It goes the, like mm-hmm. the electoral yeah, college, the college. And um, I still think it's needed electoral college because i think you know you got to make sure you're obviously because obviously there's more people in certain we we just talked about that i don't want to get into too much of that but i still think that's needed to make sure that there is a a fair and balanced election but but when you when you do all these like debates and you get all these presidential people that come around are that is you know joe biden coming to norfolk nebraska to uh, do anything is no is trump coming here or anything like that. I mean, he was supposed to go to Sioux City, I think. You know, the yeah, the way. Iowa caucus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And but otherwise, you know, really at the, the federal level, it, it really only comes down to just a, a couple of states. Well, yeah, that's what it is. And the, the other bad thing is that uh, they know or they assume the areas they're going to win and they don't need to go there. That's the other thing, which I think kind of sucks. I think they should spend more time and get get to a spot where they can get to, you know, within a couple hours of everybody even four hours in my opinion they should go at least to be able to there should be points in the united states where every candidate can go and be within four hours of everybody within a couple of years time they shouldn't you know they're already, they're already flying all over the place why not you <laughs> sure. know these bands tour all the time why can't these politicians do it just my opinion. fair question so going back to the democrats republicans do you feel that um, that's still a, a working system in today's time. Uh, I think that the way that we now get our information is a lot, it's more easily accessible. And so like, like before, let's say in the eighties and everything like that, mm-hmm. you know, you're getting everything through like a newspaper and stuff like this. And so now you have like all these different random programs that say, oh, today Joe Biden did this. Or like, let's say on another news channel, like Donald Trump decided to go golfing today. Democrats are mad at, at this. You know, Republicans mm-hmm. are, are mad at that. It's just always, it's, there's really no pleasing anyone. Mm-hmm. And so really the the representation, I think, you know, at least what the media kind of gives us is kind of, throwing everything out of whack at that point i would agree do you think that have you watched much of the any of the debates no they um i haven't liked how they're like let's say the republican debates they're attacking each other and not talking about the issues same thing on the democratic side they're attacking each other instead of going and talking about the issues and i think that's where we're kind of losing the um i don't know the aesthetic of how it's supposed to go yeah I mean, yeah, because even you, know, you do these debates and it comes down to like the final two. And so like, let's say that Trump wins and then you, who is the second place, you know, is, mm-hmm. is you know, the Santas or something like that going to be like the vice president. They just, you know, get along for like the time being or if it's going to be 
uh, South Dakota governors or somebody else. Yeah, well, it's just it's just crazy how they do it though. And then when they're fighting each other, like who actually won the debate? They're just who who did the worst come back against the other person but it's even you know, you know you you say like all these bad things but then yeah you're in the office for four years and then you try to play buddy buddy with each other it's like yeah oh. I, you know i didn't just they're all friends <laughs> yeah. they, they're they're all from the same area they all live in dc the thing Not is, all of them but i feel know. like it's hard to be an informed voter when it is just the blame game because trying to understand what everybody actually stands for and what they would do. Um, it, it makes it hard. Well, that's what these debates should be. It should it, be the issues. I not, know. Not this guy did this or. I know. So it, it makes it hard. You have to do yeah. some of your own research outside of it because you're not going to get a whole lot out of it. Yeah. I'll leave you alone in the politics now. <laughs> <laughs> Last thing, where where do you see yourself going in the future? Are you enjoying where you are? Do you see yourself staying in Northeast Nebraska? I mean, like on a personal level, I mean, I would like to get out of Northern Nebraska, go, you know, towards somewhere else. Like I said, you know, like to me, you know, Norfolk, Nebraska, it's just not. Not your thing? It's not. It's not where I really envision myself. I mean, it's nice that, you know, I can be here with like, the grandkid or you know with my grandparents <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah i don't have grandkids yet <laughs> <laughs> <Hope not. laughs> but otherwise you know like once those those people are gone then like what do i really have in this town i mean yeah. i mean so like your job's not here i mean i get i get you so like yeah so there's there's nothing really you know like holding me here to norfolk nebraska that says you know i, I really you know I, I really like you know the car wash down the road and I really can't, you know, figure, see myself somewhere going in another car wash in another state or something like that. <laughs> so where, where do you envision yourself? Where would you like to be? Like big, bigger city? I mean, you know, the, the company is based out of Boston. You know, I, I would like to to be out of Boston with all that. But, you know, since I have like free reign, you know, I, can, I can really go wherever I want. You know, you know, my family is like originally from like Sheridan, Wyoming. And so like, I love being in like, you know... The nature kind of like area, yeah. the mountainous region. Uh, Layla is is not that kind of person. She's not a nature person. She's more <laughs> concrete and yeah. skyscrapers and all that stuff. So she'd be. So you guys are like opposites. Yeah, or we're kind of opposites. Like because I like to kind of do like all towards like the na- the nature. Like mm-hmm. I go to the mountains. I I drive through the mountains, and you know I I'm driving like one of the the locals since you know I was used to it so time, and so I'm I'm weaving in and out. And of course, then she's in the back getting, you know, car sick and everything like that. And, and the kids are in the back saying, like, Dad, you're giving me a headache. I was like, ah, I, I, I'm not really feeling anything. You guys should be up here in the driver's seat. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. So is there, is there so obviously, she's Wyoming. Is there any other, like, where do you envision yourself if you could be anywhere? <laughs> Since you kind of have, I mean, you're, with your job, you kind of have a choice. She works from home, you said. Yeah. So once you have no ties here, what, what are you thinking? Have you given any thought to that? Or? I really haven't. I mean, like uh, we we just built a house, so I mean that's supposed to be like our forever house. Mm. Uh, you know, she has plans to, of course, expand onto the house. <laughs> uh, she always has some sort of like project going on. It's like you know, let, let, let's let's do this because like I, I know like she has a greater envision than like what I do. I like to just keep things simple. Like the basement is like unfinished. It's like you know, in like five years or so, we should. Like really finish the basement. I was like, I, 
don't really need a finished basement because like with the finished basement it's supposed to be like, like a six bedroom house yeah and it's like you know i don't have you know six kids i don't know right. why i would be <laughs> even finish it then you could have an office instead of being on the couch <laughs> yeah they, they're actually one of the places i think downstairs is actually supposed to be an office but you know like i really like my couch and you know <laughs> I, actually i actually have a desk in the garage that you know when the the place in and Omaha closed down. They gave me two desks, and you know my wife's got one in the one office, and then the other one is still in the garage. And I've had that for like a year and a half now, and I still haven't brought it inside from the garage. <laughs> That's funny. So, going back to, I'm going to play devil's advocate. So, you want to leave Norfolk? What what could Norfolk do to get you to stay? <laughs> what 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 could be what 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 does Norfolk need to get somebody like you to say, oh, I could really see myself living here? I mean, as far as like a work from home kind of a guy, I guess some sort of like really better community amenities. Uh, Elaborate a little bit on that. So like I know like they're trying to make like the Salt Paul Park, you know, bigger, better. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, that's not really something that, you know, I see myself in, you know, maybe the kids, you know, when they come in for baseball, softball tournaments, you know having a place for them to change or anything like that. I've heard stories where, you know, people are going out there changing in the cars for between games and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, just some sort of like activities for like the kids, because if, if I want to do something, I, you know, there, there's like the YMCA yep. and, you know, thankfully, you know, they, they built on all that stuff and, and did all that. Uh, you know, the, the swimming area that, that definitely needs uh, a different, uh, facelift because Mm -hmm. you know i go in there and it just smells of like chlorine so you know their ventilation isn't really keeping up with right the the quality of air and inside of there (laughs) but yeah i guess you know for like a like a family kind of standpoint it's not like i can say like oh let's go let's go do something it's not like i can really say you know i don't want to take the kids to the mall or something like that Mm -hmm. yeah so you're kind of, you're on the lines of like there's not a whole lot of uh, public things to do, where you don't have to it's go and like not, spend money or there's not like family oriented kind of activities to kind of do. I I know like there's, I know like downtown will hold like different events and mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but at least some sort of, uh, some sort of like area, multiple areas that say. You know, like, let's say Lincoln has, like, some sort of zoo. Omaha has a zoo. I know... Well, no, we won't be getting a zoo, but... I know, like, uh, Norfolk just now, they have, like, the two, like, gaming areas. My kids are just always like, oh, let's go to, like, King's Mm -hmm. Alley and and go uh, spend money on that. It's like, and, you know, they blow through, like, $20, you know, like, a couple Mm -hmm. games. Right. And it's like, oh, I I won this ball. It's like, cool, I got this. I $20 for this little tiny ball from the claw machine. So what do you like? What do you as ideas? Is there anything that you can think of in your yeah. head? Like, I'm just trying to think because I mean, you are correct. Outside of the parks, like in wintertime, there's not a whole lot of free activities. Yeah, because uh, what uh, there's one guy that's doing, you know, the ice uh, ice hockey, I believe. So that that's uh, a nice activity. You know, the skate park has been there for uh, since we were in high school. I don't I don't know how use that really gets i'm not sure i think it does get used but so i guess yeah you're i, I see the, the, the along the lines of what you're getting at i'm just yeah. trying to think of maybe that's something we can revisit another time yeah because yeah because when 
it's just hard for me to say, you know, let's say you're, you're visiting from another town, you know, nobody is saying like, you know, let's, let's make a stop in Norfolk, Nebraska for this attraction or, or something like that. Yeah. Like there's nothing like for me that really draws me or wants to really keep me in inside of Norfolk. Like I, I know my, my wife, you know, yeah. she has the family, she wants to be around the family, but like, like for me, at least in my ideology, it, it just no longer really applies to me. Right. And that's, a, you know, it's always a personal choice. You know, I enjoy downtown, but again, it takes money to go to a lot of the things down there. Or I mean, because I, I mean, even like the, the axe throwing, I mean, because it, it's not like I can really take my kids or something like that and go axe throwing. Can you? Not yet. Well, you, I think they had 12. I think it's 12. Yeah, it's, either, it's either 10 or 12 because we asked because we were going to take Christian. And he's 11. I mean, yeah, there's that rage room. I haven't been in there. You know, I, I would like to go in there and just beat up a whole lot of stuff. Well, there you go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I, I get what you're saying. And the, and the, you know, whether people like the Whitewater uh, Rapids thing or not, it, it is going to be a, a free access thing. So that'll be a, a nice little added bonus. But again, maybe not necessarily for kids. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The park will be revamped. Johnson's Park there. With it. Like a trampoline park and... Those are dangerous. Dangerous. Blow your knee out real quick. Well, I did that in basketball, so... I get, but I I get what you're saying. I'm trying to, I'm trying to not... Obviously, I, I love living here, so I'm a little biased, I guess, but... Everybody finds their thing. Yeah. But you are right, though. There's not a whole lot of... Outside of restaurants and um, bars and things, there's not a whole lot of kids' activities that don't uh, cost about the same as going to do that. Again, for all you people, and we're not ragging on any of those businesses because um, they were they were needed. But uh, but I kind of get what Chase is saying, where we need we still need to, and that's why he's saying from '06 to now we've only grown about five thousand people, right? Is that what he said? Yeah, yeah. Because I think I remember. I don't know how many years ago when I would have, I, you know, you see the signs as you come in and out, uh, yeah. town. Like when I was graduating, it was somewhere around like 20,000. I think the signs say like, you know, 25,000 now. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, you, I mean, sure, you know, it's grown, it's grown 5,000 people in like 15 years. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I guess as far as something that would draw me to this town, yeah. it's just, I wonder yeah. with all the housing that's gone up, how much that changes the actual hop- population within Norfolk, though. Mm. It can, but we also talk about with Vance a lot where you know, some of the other community people have left Norfolk to right. buy houses in Battle Creek or Stanton um, because one, well, it's cheaper. Then there's also people that aren't commuting into Norfolk anymore because we didn't have housing here that... Yeah. Now we do. Well, yeah. I mean, but. even still, like, you know, I, I'll go on Facebook and uh, I'll see people trying to, to rent houses. You know, here's mm-hmm. this, you know, like one bedroom house, you know, here it's for like $1,300. And, you know, I, I put like laughing things on it. It's like, you know, like, it, it shouldn't really cost this much. Cause I mean, no. it, like, what? Well, are no, you- nothing, nothing should cost what it does right now. Not just housing, not just whatever. Yeah. Cause I, I don't know if like really 
jobs here in Norfolk that has like really high paying jobs, I guess. There's well, there's less than than what there is, whatever you want to call it, I'm not, whatever the word is. There's a higher proportion of probably lower paying jobs. But, but there's there's more industry here than you than you'd think. You forget about certain things that do pay well. Um but there probably is a bigger split between whatever you want to call it, the classes or whatever in Norfolk than there probably is in other cities. Could be. I mean, even so I, I, cause like what, you know, I went to school at Bel Air yeah. and you know, that's, you know, 20 some plus years ago. Yeah. And you know, the, the community hasn't invested in, you know, getting, you know, like another school. Cause I think even like Sunny Meadows used to be a school and now that's closed down and that's a med- medical facility now. We actually have less schools than we used to because, uh, what closed Northern Hills closed. Yeah. Um, well, cause I thought didn't, it wasn't a daycare and then somebody bought it and then he wanted to convert it to something. Well, it was supposed to be a Ukrainian refugee daycare mm. where they were going to run it and have, refugees there from that was what I, I, thought, I thought they were still opening but i don't know for sure but yeah so like I don't know. when i went to you know elementary school like uh the grade school was kindergarten through sixth grade and then yeah. you know they they built the middle school for seventh grade junior high eighth and ninth and then the middle school was you know 10 through 12 you know they expanded the high school to accommodate all those extra kids and but now elementary only goes you know k through four and the middle school is you know five and six and so, and that's where we'll probably see some of the, as long as we can keep them here, well, that's where we'll see some of the population boom a little bit more because we, we, there are more kids in the schools. Um, but we got to have something to keep them here. Jobs and, uh, activities like you were saying. And I do know that there are other people that are on your side on that, um, that Norfolk doesn't have enough. They're not for the whitewater thing. They're not for, revamping the downtown they think that there's other uh, things that are needed and i'm not saying that i'm just a huge proponent of uh the downtown renovations or, or that kind of stuff i i like it i i enjoy going down there but there's are there are people that probably don't and they don't want their uh, money being in, put in there and i get that uh but i do think that norfolk needs to be a place where people do want to come i i wish that things were different and you didn't think that way but you know it is what it is I mean, yeah, it's personal we, choice. Yeah, we, and when you, nice. I mean, you move away and you spend time in Lincoln, you spend time yeah. in Omaha, and you and you see how easily accessible, you know, those kinds of services are. Right, and then you move to somewhere where it's really not. It, it's it's kind of you know like sad, you know, towards like a family standpoint, you know, that you're just like for me, like when I think about it, it's just like I'm here. It's not. I don't know. It's not somewhere where I envision myself, you know, just constantly wanting to be. Because, like, if we wanted to, like, you know, my family likes hockey. You know, I like going to, like, the Lincoln Stars games. The kids are always asking me, it's like, Dad, let's go down to Lincoln and go to the hockey game. Mm-hmm. And so it's like, you know, then you're thinking of, you know, you know, taking the entire day off, driving down mm-hmm. there, going to the game, and then you're driving back. Mm-hmm. Or do you, as far as kids and, uh, let's say, like, safety and... and uh, concerns like that do you i mean is that a concern to you 
Were you? Did you feel safe in Lincoln? I mean, or do you feel safer in Norfolk? I guess it. Uh, I wasn't really much of a difference. I. Th- think for myself because i mean since you know the kids mm-hmm. uh you know wherever they're at now you know uh you know emory down there in lincoln she went to north american martyrs you know it's like these buildings are now secured systems and so it's it's not like back in the day where i can just like walk into the building like i used to mm-hmm. be able to do and like bel air you know bel air has kind of revamped its entire face i think you know now I like, kind of like really think about it. Bel Air is like re- at least the only one that I really know is like, you know, kind of like expanded like their school. Cause I think it's expanded at least twice. And I, yeah, I don't really know ones, about, I don't the know other how ones. long ago the West side did. I don't remember about some of the other ones. I'd have to, I'd have to look into that, but yeah, Bel Air just did their expansion. Yeah. Cause they put in a new cafeteria slash gym. Yeah. Yep. Move some of the stuff. Um, I just didn't know how you felt as far as just the, just city safety. Oh, <laughs> you know, bigger city. Obviously, there's going to be more stuff going on. Uh, I guess there's there's still plenty of stuff that go on in Norfolk too. Like but. we have people in chimneys and stuff here. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, because in Lincoln, I was in like the northwest part of town, so like you're kind of like sheltered away from like you know the main area of of Lincoln. So right. And so, like, out there, you're in the middle of, like, kind of, like, nowhere, but you're still kind of close enough to town where you can do really whatever you want. Yeah. I mean, it's real easy for you just to hop on the interstate and get to wherever you need to go. Right. But, I mean, out there, you know, we never had, you know, like, any issues or anything like that. I know. I mean, there's a handful of issues where, you know. Well, it's going to be anywhere. I didn't mean it to sound like Norfolk was a safe place. I just didn't know. I just like the smaller community aspect, but. I mean, I can, I can, at least, I mean, Lincoln, you know, since, you know, you know, my friends down there, you know, you know, we would help each other. But I mean, up here, you know, I, I now that, you know, I moved back to Norway, I, I don't know anyone. I, I really don't even really go out of my way to really talk to other people to begin with. And, but, you know, even with this last snowstorm event, you know, I'm taking out the snowblower and I'm going through the entire, you know, sidewalk because, you know, you know, the guy's got like a little tiny, you know, little push thing that's, you know, You're it's not gonna, out, yeah. it's not going to get through, you know, like a four foot drift. And, right. uh, you know, he's going to be at that, you know, for hours if he, you know, he got cleared the sidewalk and everything. Right. But, uh, hmm. I get it. I get it. I'll, qu- I'll quit bugging you about Norfolk. <laughs> <laughs> I do appreciate you coming on, though, making time to be here. We'll probably close it up here, but we'll get you on again if you get some more studies and maybe we can go in a little more depth and put some graphs up on the screen and you can discuss it a little more next time. Yeah, if thanks, you want. thanks for sharing your projects. These are pretty cool. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah, if you want, you know, eventually, you know, come back into like a video kind of thing, you know, I can come back and, you know, basically talk about like all these things that, you know, people didn't get to, to look at. Yeah, we can go more in depth. If, yeah. if some yeah, people want, for sure. Because yeah, uh, we should have video, hopefully, by the end of the month. Oh. <laughs> once, the, once the studio's done, mm-hmm. yeah. So we can maybe have you back in February or March. Talk about a little more. A little more in depth. Give some give the people a little bit of time to think about it. Yeah, that's that's fine. Yeah, and, you know, the, there's community questions. Or even questions. this summer, whatever, yeah. We can do community questions, yeah. But otherwise, like, like even, you know, like, I don't even really do like weather forecasting anymore. You know, you know, that's kind of like 
a thing that I kind of miss. You know, you know, you you do weather, and you you want to be like the National Weather Service, and I didn't get into you know a valley to to be to meteorologist, and so like you know, I kind of miss like doing the forecasting. And I've I, I've always kind of like thought to myself, you know, do I want to create like my own kind of like like page because because um, I think even I didn't like share this earlier, but I think when News Channel Nebraska was I think originally starting to to pan out. I think, you know, they were uh, asking for me for, you know, to come on and be one of the, the meteorologists for like the TV. But of course, you know, doing broadcast meteorology compared to like forecasting meteorology, you know, you don't, that's like a whole different section down there in like mm-hmm. Nebraska where you'd take specific like uh, broadcasting. So I would have gone into like the job with just like nothing. I like, not even, cause like you, you go up there and you're basically just kind of like stand at, in front of like a blank green screen, green screen and, you're, yeah. and you're looking at you a TV watch them with your, yeah. Yeah. So you want to like, you want to start a page locally to like, I, I've kind of like thought about it. Like, uh, I mean, like any random person can go on the internet. Uh, I mean, what I basically kind of use, it's, it's a website that's called pivotal weather. Mm-hmm. And what it does is, uh, you can look at the entire United States. You can look at, you know, different regions. Uh, you can look at more, uh, centralized areas like central U.S. or you can get down to like the local scale. So like if I wanted to just only focus on like Nebraska, but uh, if you want to get down to like the local, it, they do kind of like ask you to like buy like a subscription package for like a year. It's like a hundred dollars. Mm. Like even like my radar scope, I I pay like ten dollars a year to use that. And if I if I wanted to get like archived data or get like higher quality, they ask you to do. I think it's like a hundred dollars or something like that to get like the next tiered package on that. Well, maybe we can just get you on to agent life media group and you can be our local weather guy. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, my, my mother always like texts me is like, you know, Sioux city, you know, they're forecasting, you know, you know, like four to six inches and, you know, I'm going through like the malls and let's say like, Oh, the malls are, you know, they're trending towards like, you know, like eight to 11 and, you know, you get the text back. It's like, yeah, you, you're real fun to talk to. I'm so glad I asked you, you know, like what your opinion is, like what it's going to snow. And so it's always like, you know, like people hate two people. They, they hate the lawyers and they hate the meteorologists <laughs> because, you know, the lawyers are just, you know, they're always going to try to end up you know screwing you some way or whatnot. Mm. And then there's like the meteorologist where, you know, like it's, it's, it's going to, they, they say it's going to like rain today and then it doesn't rain. And it's like, oh, you know, I, I wish I can get paid, you know, how many thousands of dollars right. to just be wrong all the time. Yeah. Well, if, if it's something you're serious about, we can, we can discuss putting you on and you can do some, just do it on our page. There's a, there's a small little thing. We can pay your subscription and you can just <laughs> be our local, our local, uh, Meteorologist for go. the Agent Life Media Group. Yeah, I don't know if there's really any meteorology pages like in Northeast Nebraska. I mean, I've never I, looked, but I know. I, I mean, I don't even get. I don't even watch like the news channel in Nebraska since you know I I use TV. I use YouTube TV, yeah. so I you know you don't get that right. channel. Mm-hmm. I mean, it'd be nice to have that 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 one local channel, but you know since you know we live in Norfolk, Nebraska, and my wife's family likes the Cowboys, and they're relatively good this year compared to you know like the denver broncos yeah so i i kind of spoofed my location to be in in dallas and not yeah. in sioux city <laughs> yeah. and stuff like that that works <laughs> well when i when i put your episode out um i mean next week maybe i'll put on there and we'll get some see, see if see if there's any interest in having that if it's something you really want to do yeah uh, that's fine i, I know 
Yeah, snow is, I know, you know, you know, people complain about, you know, forecasting with the snow, like where they say, you know, it's going to be like four to six. Oh, now it's mm -hmm. going to be like eight to 10 yeah. or now it's going to come back down to like four to six. And, you know, people are just always complaining. It's like, you know, you guys can't really predict the snow. And really with the snow, it, it's, it, that one is really actually the, the hardest one to kind of predict because there's like so many, uh, small scale things that can basically dry is the low pressure going to be in a different area than what it's going to be is there did a dry slot of air come through and basically kind of kill the storm um, right. like like another kind of like weather phenomenon so like let's say that you're looking at the radar mm -hmm. and the radar is showing that oh it's it's raining in norfolk right now well i mean the reason why it's it's not raining in norfolk sometimes is because you know where the the radar stationed at in Valley, Nebraska, you know, the angle that it's looking at is it's the lowest tilt that it has is like 0 0.5 degrees. And by the time that it reaches like Norfolk, Nebraska, the, the radar is looking at like, I think it's like 6,300 feet above the atmosphere. Mm -hmm. And so the radar is seeing that it's, it's raining slash snowing at 6,000 feet, but it's not reaching the surface. And, right. And so like you basically kind of figure out, you know, like why isn't it raining, you know, more than likely the atmosphere is still too dry that it hasn't basically become saturated enough to make it all the way right. down to the surface. Makes sense. We'll, we'll, we'll discuss that and I'll see if we get so we can, we, yeah, it's something we can maybe do. If it's something you want to do. Yeah. Be kind of fun. Yeah. Um, but thanks for coming on. Mm. We'll get you on again. Yeah. It's been fun. Yeah, we'll, thanks we'll for having me on. Yeah. Thanks buddy.